Alex Carell is one of over 70,000 Google Career Certificate graduates. The Google Career Certificate program completely changed the trajectory of my life. I've always been interested in computers, but I never thought I could turn this into a career. Anytime I got a little break, I just pop open the course on my phone. That allowed me to have that path into a career that I'm passionate about. Train online for in-demand jobs in IT, UX design, data analytics, project management, and more. Visit grow.google/certificates. This episode is brought to you by the NHL on TNT. When it comes to hockey, the Stanley Cup playoffs are built different. Experience the intensity and insanity on the ice and off it. Starting May 5th on TNT and TBS. Get ready for seven game rounds of knockdowns, dragouts, pressure and agony as teams go head to head without ever letting up. The Stanley Cup playoffs are known for more than just a few cracked ribs and black eyes. Pushing through pain is the name of the game. With so much edge of your seat action, you'll refuse to shave or change your sweater. Don't say we didn't warn you. Ready to feel the rush? Watch the Stanley Cup playoffs beginning May 5th on TNT and TBS. Good morning, Honey Hole Hangout. <laughs> nice way to wake us up, Cliff. Yep. Gets us going. At least it wasn't as high pitched as some of them. I was hoping for the yeehaw, honestly. My, I my forgot to tell changed. you before. Yeah. Uh, I can't do the yeehaw all the no. time. It takes so much out of you. Or you just you have to have the right kind of day. You got to have the right kind of day. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> right Today kind of is- alcohol. <laughs> today has not been that day. Yeah, no yeehawing today. No yeehawing. So we have a special guest, my good friend Stephen Palmer. Howdy. Welcome. Thank you. Do you want to tell everyone what you do? Sure. I work at uh, Orvis in Plano, Texas as a fishing manager. So um, if you're ever around, come say hi. Go say hi to Stephen. He knows what's people. going on. Oh. Yeah, he knows people. <laughs> and he knows what's going on with fishing. That's for sure. Hey, so I think on one of our previous episodes, I, as a teaser for you coming on this podcast, I may have uh, bragged on you a bit at a fishing manager's meeting we attended. Did you win the casting competition? Mm-mm. No, uh, I remember it was Brian Mars. It was, yeah. Did you get second? Yeah, I remember you were like in that. the running, and I was like. Second or third. But we were saying that you are one of the best casters I know. Oh, I thought we were oh, getting the it. best casters, so. <laughs> it, it was very uh you got a different story or something i mean i guess we gotta call brian marsh now. yeah <laughs> you know how, you remember the second part of that the accuracy was out and i was like it was all distance it was only distance I was like, yeah man, the accuracy the, fi- oh, the final the thing like <laughs> if you tied on points or something it was just straight up did who could yeah. who could bomb the law and you i mean you guys were casting far yeah and that's the thing is he casted 20 feet further, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It, I mean, he bombed it over that little house thing. Mm-hmm. Accuracy, though, that's where it's at. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think Austin or our, uh, would agree with that. Um, what uh, We're going to be talking with you about your trip to Bolivia, mm-hmm. and you caught some Dorado, yep. I saw on Instagram. So that's a little teaser for when we get into that later. If you guys want to hear about Dorado fishing in Bolivia, stay tuned. I'm going to get about to Dorito fishing? Dorito catch fishing. Doritos. Or catch wow. fish on Doritos. I did do that. Doritos Locos Taco. That's true. 
But as the fish taco, not as an actual Dorito. Well, people have caught bass on like Barbie heads and stuff. I'm, I would not be surprised if <laughs> someone oh. caught a fish on a Dorito. Yeah. Well, you did anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. Definitely catch some panfish on I it. I think uh, Doritos while fishing for Dorado is proper. Mm. Good snack. Yeah, think yeah. of a drink. You got to grease go the it. line up real well with your cheesy fingers. <laughs> 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 you go to set and just miss. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> right up. So let me get some business out of the way first, and then we'll get right into our whiskey review. Um, we are Honey Hole Hangout. We hang out. We talk about hunting and fishing, conservation, the great outdoors, uh, whatever we're interested in that week. I don't know. That's pretty much what we do. Yeah. Um, if you guys uh, are interested, we have uh, some great stickers on our website that Zach is the artist on all of our uh, stickers. Mm -hmm. If you like our show and would like to consider supporting us, please uh, go check that out. Um, we have my shirts. Personal we have shirts now, yeah. T-shirts. We have hats. My personal favorite is the Fish the Flat Earth sticker. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah that one's awesome. pretty good. Um but we have some greater stuff. We have some coffee mugs, which have actually been selling really well. Oh, yeah? Cool. The uh, enamel uh, camp mugs yeah, yeah, with yeah. the Find Your Honey Hole with the Spaceman on the Moon. Yeah, that's good. Um, so uh, if you guys are so inclined, please uh, consider supporting us. And uh, that's pretty much it. Uh, we don't have any new YouTube content because I am living out of a hotel currently and have not been able to edit videos, but we got some stuff in the pipeline. Uh, Zach, what are we drinking tonight? We are drinking. So part of that whole birthday extravaganza whiskey that my dad got me was the Suntory whiskey. It is the Toki. I hope I'm saying that right. Anyways, it is my first Japanese whiskey I've ever tried. So uh, I was doing a quick research. I couldn't really find much information. It is a blend, and it is aged in both cherry and American oak, I believe. How does it pair with Yellowtail? Sushi. Oh, they're talking about yellowtail wine. I'm like, I don't know. Not I haven't had sushi. that since college because it's like the $5 bottle. I just figured. I do not know. This whiskey is very good, though. I've finished my first glass. I'm about to pour another. It tastes like uh, a little bit of scotch. Mm. I like it, too. You know, uh, I would agree, though. I would agree, though. It definitely <laughs> has a scotch uh, flavor profile. Is it peaty? I'm not drinking it. Yeah. And it, like, oddly enough, I would say that it has a little bit of peatiness to it. Like, it just does. But also, like, I'm super used to drinking, like, super sweet bourbons. And even that Irish whiskey we had last week was relatively sweet as well. Yeah, that Irish whiskey we had last week was very good. And also, most scotches have, like, a pretty, like, not super, not most, I guess, but a lot of scotches have, like, more of, like, this golden color. You know? that yeah. This isn't very dark at it's all. It's really like a, light. Right, like a bourbon though is like caramely almost, versus this is like golden yellow. It looks like a healthy pee. Yeah, <laughs> it does like or like a dehydrated the, pee. I was about like to you say. need to drink some water. Uh, yeah. You're on the verge to be dehydrated. It looks like a healthy <laughs> pee that takes a good multivitamin. If that's yeah. your pee, uh, yeah, maybe I'm a little less neon. If that's your normal, <laughs> yeah, I would say. It's like, why do you ask for water? If it's, <laughs> if it's darker, <laughs> if it's darker. That's when you get worried. It's so like could this be is a, a little this yellow. is a very easy drinker though, I think. And so if people uh, say so you're saying you like drinking pee, only straw colored pee. Oh yeah. Uh -huh. Um, but no, I would yeah, I'd agree. Uh, I believe the bottle is like around forty dollars. I've seen it around. I don't know how hard it is to find, 
but um, I've been wanting to try a Japanese whiskey for a I've while. I've heard Japanese whiskeys are fantastic, yep. and I've never had one. Right. So, um, Cliff, you did a little bit of gun work this past weekend. Will you mm-hmm. tell us about that? I patterned my shotgun. What did you learn from that experience? First off, what is patterning? Yeah, yeah. Patterning so, your patterning your shotgun is the process of learning how the BBs or whatever you want to uh-huh. call them, how those pattern out after the shot's fired. Okay. So, you can learn how dense the pattern is if you're shooting left or right, high or low or anything like that off of it. It's very... Patterns vary from every gun. It right. could be the same brand of gun even, but it's still going to pattern a little bit different. Mm-hmm. It will vary based on the the shot shell itself, so the brands of that will vary different. Like brand to brand or even so... Even, 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 like even shell so to from shell. shell to shell. Because like those little projectiles, like they're all bouncing around different every time you shoot it. Yeah, so know? they say you really want to do it a couple of times yeah. in order to like truly learn it. But I just ran through each one because I was wanting just a very basic pattern of what. It seemed like you were also, instead of testing as much of the shell. I was testing more of the choke. Yeah. So that's what I was getting into. Everything that you're adding in or taking away or replacing changes or has the potential to change your pattern. So this year I got... Me and, like, Evan and some of my waterfowl friends, they talked me into kind of going with the ball shot shell, a bismuth load, whereas I've never shot bismuth in the past. I've always shot steel because, A, it's cheaper, it's more easy to find, and all this other stuff. So I've always just kept on with that. But now if you have an upset stomach in the field, you're good to go. (laughs) Huh? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> the, the main the main ele- the main thing in pepto bismol is bismuth uh, I, I guess yes. <laughs> i didn't realize that well i think bismuth retains its weight better than steel it so is, it's like a lead it's, considered it's heavier close. it's heavier than steel so it shoots more like a lead than steel does there's a lot of benefits to it so you get more distance out of it you can get a little bit more okay. distance to it, and it's going to retain its weight and velocity yeah. a little bit better. Velocity of stills, like normally I've shot uh, Kent's fast still. Its velocity coming out is average of like 15-something uh, feet per second. The bismuth uh, balls number fives I have is 1350 velocity, so less velocity by at least 200 feet per second. But because this retains its weight a little bit better, can fly a little bit farther, it hits harder. So you can use a smaller shot size Mm -hmm. to make up the difference of what a heavier shot size still will do. Okay. Uh, Now, when you said it's more expensive, what are we talking per box? Uh, I think you can get a case of Kent for roughly 150 when I bought my last case of Kent Fast Steel, uh-huh. it was probably about $150, $165-ish. Okay. Uh, and that's 25 shells right. per box, 10. <laughs> that's 250 shells. Right. Boss Shot Shell that I just bought a couple weeks ago, it's 200 shells, 
$315. Oh. So it's hell. significantly more expensive, mm-hmm. but it does tend to hold its weight, and a lot of people swear by it. I kind of broke down. What's it? Would you What's say it a- it's a 1% rule? It probably is. I mean, at least in your mind, it probably is. Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't know. I've never shot it, so I can't say how it is actually. We haven't field. talked about the 1% rule in a while, but the 1% rule is if, if you can do something in hunting or fishing that increases your odds of success by at least 1%, that thing is worth doing. And if it doesn't increase your odds by at least 1%, it's probably not worth your time. So what Cliff is saying is, you know, the upgrade in Shell is probably a 1% rule. Um, it sounds like what, by what you're saying, I would say it's a 1% rule. So I, it's, would say it's it's probably, I would say it's probably more. I, I don't know. I can't speak on how I truly feel on it yet because I haven't hunted it. Okay. I've only shot maybe 9 to 12 rounds of it, of those 200 shells. I've only shot shot it 9 times, but focusing on different things. So not actually the shell itself, and none of it has been at a game of some sort. Yeah. It's all been targets. So I can't say how I truly feel about how much it's going to help or hinder or whatever. Was yet. there a choke that you, since you were more testing your chokes out, was there a choke that you're like, ooh, that looked, that patterning looked good? Honestly, I was very disappointed in all of mine. <laughs> okay. That's not a good day. What size shot is that, Bismuth? Uh, five. Are they blend, or are they uh, just no, solid? Just the fives. I know they make a, a three five, so yeah. it's a blend. But I, I just did a five. Is the is the blend a little bit cheaper? No. Oh, okay. It's uh, all a little bit, but not much. Yeah, like not not pretty close. Yeah. Now, I think all of theirs. If you're buying a case, everything, unless it's the, I think the three fifths might even be more expensive. I think it might be three twenty five a case. Oh really? Because I I've never shot the Boss, but I've shot a uh, heavy heavy shot heavy metal, and that's mm. theirs. Uh, and it was like $35 a box for 20 bismuth mm. or 20-something, I think, for the heavy metal, the, the combination. This you know? is the first time I've ever shot bismuth. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I don't, I, I, like I said, I don't know how I truly feel on it right now, but everything I hear from others is, and people I respect, people who do way better and way more than I do, they swear up and down by bismuth and specifically boss. So gotcha. I kind of got pulled into that and was like, yeah, I'll give it a try. Yeah. If I get through it and I don't like it, it's one case out the window, but right. I'm going to shoot it all. Yeah. Um, cool. Business nice. I've, I mean, I've shot it quite a bit. The only thing I've noticed is it breaks apart sometimes. Really? Cleaning wise. Yeah. You got a little bit more to look at. But I did. Oh, I see what you mean. I did. I tried to pattern Saturday. When I was up at the bird farm, because mm-hmm. I went to the bird farm for the first time uh, since the end of season last year, mm-hmm. we built two flight pins and installed some more of a second bathroom okay. there. Um, and I tried to pattern it out, but I didn't get the distance like far enough from the distance to truly get good patterns. But what I did learn there was everything was shooting forward. So I was kind of leading it a little bit more than what so you need to lead more or no it's, you, if it's shooting forward you need to when lead you're less. when you're aim, aiming straight like at a target you don't want it to be led at all you want it to be um, on yeah 
So I did realize that I was a little bit canted to the right. Okay. So I came back home and I switched my uh, casting plate on it. So now it's supposed to be, it says it's for a left-hand shooter, but it did pull it back more towards center. So then Sunday I go out. I actually do a 30-yard, which is what I was advised to do and what I wanted to do Saturday but couldn't. So I went out Sunday, did 30 yards, set up everything, and went through all seven of my chokes, so the factory chokes, the factory extendeds, and my aftermarket chokes. Um, Worked through those. What I've learned on these or why I wasn't super impressed with anything that I truly shot on Saturday was because everything seemed to be high. Like, it seemed like everything was shooting higher than where I was necessarily aiming. I don't know if that was stance yet. I don't know if that was because it was in on, like, an inclined, like, a leaned-up box a little bit. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's because I was a little bit on a hill and this was a little bit in a a dip. It wasn't like too crazy or anything. So there's a bunch of variables in that. But I did was able to get enough of like a good estimation pattern of the chokes that I want to use for the crane hunt or duck no, hunting. Duck hunting mainly. Yeah. That's okay. what that's for is duck or dove. Uh, this is duck. Okay. I'm not shooting that at a dove. That's what I was wondering, you know. I'm sure you can. Fly money for dove. Yeah. <laughs> Is there anything else that you wanted to mention on your... Uh, no, go check pattern. out the story. The story was saved, so it's there. So oh, if you cool. want to learn how to do it, it's all there. I thought your story was pro- great. And the Me process too. that I went... There was just some things that I would have personally done a little bit different to make it more of a controlled environment. Yeah. Um, and nothing be perfect, though. Right. But... When I'm trying to learn something, like how it's actually functioning, I want everything else, like, controlled. That's that's how you do. The scientific process. You don't change three things. You change one thing. Exactly. So, that was the only thing. I did get far enough to kind of pick out which ones I'm going to use, which, if you're curious, I'm sticking with the aftermarket Carlson's that I showed on there. I think that the pattern's a little bit better, even though that, I tended to shoot high with them. Again, I don't know what's the true cause behind that necessarily because on Saturday when everything was level and all this other stuff was more contained, it was shooting 100% level. Gotcha. Uh. And I shot those same chokes there too. <clears throat> could be your cheek or comb height too. Yeah, adjusting. it could be. Uh, Zach, you went to Houston. Uh-huh, I did. Uh, brief, we will keep it short, on the Tech game. Uh, tech game, first half sucked. Honestly, it was the most defeating first half I've been to. But second half was crazy, honestly. Like, nobody thought it was going to happen. And then we did. We, tech lit it up and actually ended up beating Houston. They so. played great the second half. It yeah, was, on, two it was different like two teams. Diff- really, it was like two different teams. Yeah. So. yeah, no, for sure. I would have to agree with that. You tried a new fishing rod? I did, yeah. So I like trying new new things, new innovations in the fly fishing world. <coughs> Tinkar. I, you know what? <laughs> if I catch fish, man, I'm not going to complain about did it. Did it feel good? It did. It felt good in your hand? Exactly, right? Simmy. You know, there's just one rod I'm worried about. There's no line. You know, it's all good. 
So what was this new rod you tried out? So uh, I've been looking at this company for a while. They're called Rare Gear. Uh, Rare? Yep. R-E-Y-R. R-E-Y-R. They're marketing, man. It worked on me. But also, like I said, uh, my birthday came up. I told Kendall I'd like to try this. It's that thing. It's like you'd never really buy for yourself, but also it's like, eh, you know what? Did you buy it? Kendall did, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so... um, Did you bring it? Yeah, it's in my car. Oh, yeah, okay. Go grab it. No, not yet. Not yet, not yet. We'll, we'll show us. Uh, but I mean, it's nice, you know, and it, you know, compacts like 14 inches or whatever. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but there are no uh, guides on it, right? There's just a the ferrules are hollow, so there's this little notch, maybe, maybe five or six inches up the rod from the reel seat, and the line goes into that hole and then comes out the tip, right? What in the world? Right. It's weird. Um, now, you cannot haul it. You can't. It is strictly just like you let out some line, and then you just use normal false cast. To, so the line's internal. Yeah. Line literally goes. Well, it has a reel, right? Right, right, right. But, but it feeds yeah, back through. It feeds back through and then comes out the very Like end. a mechanical pencil. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Oh, interesting. This, uh, how have I never seen this? I don't know, man, but they're, uh, you know. This it, sounds like a gimmick. Um, but I would, I would like to. So yeah, so I mean, like they're definitely marketing it as a travel rod, right? Because it's kind of like, but okay. So let let me let me stop you there. Most fly rods break into four pieces. Yes, and I would consider that a travel rod. Right, right. So, where do you see the use of this versus what a typical fly rod that could fit (laughs) under most people's car seats, right, or in their car? Well, I mean, like even if I break down my fly rod. It doesn't really fit underneath my car seats without me worrying about like it breaking or something. However, um, this one I can set up in a few seconds, right? Like literally just do, 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 and it's ready to fish. Like the line wraps around it, so all you have to do is that, and you're ready to go. Okay. Right? Um, the other big thing I would say is like for me, if I go to visit my dad for a weekend, I to be honest, I don't want to bring the whole rod uh, tube. Because you're flying. Right, exactly. That's the biggest thing, right, when I'm flying. I don't want to bring a rod tube, a reel, uh, all my gear, right? I want to bring, like, my Hemos. I want to bring this new guy and maybe, like, a box of flies. You know what I mean? And I can do that now. And granted, I could do it before. It's just, it. You don't, nobody needs this stuff. You know what I mean? This is all just, like, stuff It's like, I want to mess around with something, you know, and try out this new system. But also, Tinkara, you are very limited on what you can do when you actually get it out. So you think this is more versatile than a Tinkara? For right? sure, and that's how they even market. They're like, we aren't, obviously, you don't get all the whistles you get with a regular conventional, a regular fly rod, right? You are giving up some stuff for the compactability and the ease of setting it up. But also, you do get that reach. You do get the regular reel to fight it. You get uh, drag. You know, you get all this stuff. And they've actually partnered with Scientific Angler to make a specialty line to be able to use through their system a little bit easier. Yeah, I'm curious to see, like, I'm curious to is see it completely thing. hollow or does it have, like, internal guides or is it? Uh, I think it's you know? completely hollow. I but wonder I'm, how strong it is, too. That would be a concern of mine. It's, it's, uh, so they make two models. They have the four weight. They have a four weight and then a six weight model. Okay. I'm curious we're gonna how have mine to, shoots. We're going to have to make line, a reel about this. I would say, yeah, and I, I shot some. I will say that that's the one thing. It doesn't, sh- like, it sticks, right? It right. doesn't shoot that's as smooth as guides. Um, so that, and like I said, you cannot haul it all. It's strictly just letting out some line and then uh, false casting to get it out. But even then, it doesn't, like, stick to the point where it won't come out. But right, right. you're definitely, like, whipping it, it back friction. and forth. Exactly. Does a... Uh, 
So is the line something specific they manufactured for that setup? So they did. They partnered with Scientific Angler to make a line that apparently is supposed to go through their system smoother than like a traditional line. They say you can put whatever line you want on it, but they made one specifically for their setup. Because my mind, a double taper would be like the most ideal line for that because it's just constant, right? There's no weight forward portion that would give it a hiccup or whatever. Yeah. No, for sure. I mean, like, to be honest, I caught a bunch of fish. It was fun to fight fish on it because it has that four weight. It's also probably about as heavy as a glass rod over graphite. So it's a little bit heavier even though it's... Even though they're, they don't have guides. And, mm-hmm. well, a graphite rod is hollow too, but there's no guides. So you're cutting weight there. Mm-hmm. But, I think but it's ma- still heavier. They yeah. probably have to build it heavier because I could imagine there being issues of strength and durability exactly. with a rod like that. Right. Well, it's probably a larger diameter too. It is. It is. Because it's, it's collapsing inside. Exactly. Yeah. It is. Especially, yeah, it, it, you know, it tapers pretty fast. But How long is it? Nine feet. Okay. Yep. And it does. Like, the whole thing is, like, this big, and it has the reel attached to it. I mean, it's, you know... It, um, I'm holding back. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's definitely like a, like a goofy thing. No, it's, you know I what mean, I mean? It'd be cool for some stuff. And, the, and you said, where did you see this marketed? Dude, they've been hitting me on Instagram for it for years. You looked at it one for time years. and you were all in. Yeah, literally <laughs> yeah. for years. I, like, I, they hit me up with like their first model like two or three years ago. And, now, and that was they just had one color, one model. And now they make nets and uh a six weight they offer every you know both their sizes in two different colors and yeah all i get marketed is moonshine <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i ain't buying that but you know i don't know like it's it's a real fly rod except for just the guides are internal yeah. you know yeah. it has the reel and everything but interesting um, oh. i would not suggest it for pond fishing which is what i used it mainly for i would definitely like small creeks yeah. you know uh, small creeks. Like I would take it to the quad, no problem. You know, but um, yeah, I would think it'd be like the same concept as like a tinkara rod, but now you have a reel that you can fight a fish in something yeah. the similar style yeah. of water, and you get a little more reach. You know, and you can strip flies. I did notice that. Oh yeah, because like true. I could throw th- I could throw things out with the tinkara. You just kind of like raise your yeah. arm until it's back, and you do it again. You know, um, and also tinkara, it's more you know that dabbing. You know, yep. just like moving your wrist whereas this one you actually can cast you get some accuracy and um and being able to strip flies is a huge mm-hmm. advantage i would say over over tinkar if you're looking for like a collapsible rod interesting uh let's do our wood tip call real quick before i talk about my big bend trip that sounds great morning boys this here wood tip pickle chip giving you another call you know boys been been kind of busy been kind of busy around here you know what i'm saying uh Got things going on, okay, you know, it's hot, all right, it's hot, you know, uh, but still been listening, all right, been listening, just, you know, ain't had a chance to give you boys a call, you know, so, kind of nice, you know, just sit here for a little bit, you know, got a little, got a little coffee, okay, all right, okay, boys, got a little whiskey in my coffee, all right, you know what I'm saying, you got, you got to get things going right, okay, you know what I'm saying, but, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure, you know, we're not doing a lot of hunting right now, okay, because, you know, I had the last group down here, and they was, uh, you know, a couple groups actually, I was hunting at night, you know, and that wears on me quite a bit, that wears on, you know, mosquitoes, they're, they're rampant around here, you know what I'm saying, I mean, they're big, all right, you know, like dragonflies are coming at you, you know what I'm saying, but anyhow, but, uh, you know, we're, we're uh, you know, we kind of slow down during the, during the summer months when it's really hot, you know what I'm saying, but, uh, you know, it's, 
that's good, you know, all right, that's good for the pigs, all right, they're out there, you know, doing their thing, all right, making bacon, all right, you know, it's like, so we're going to get after it here pretty quick, you know, we got deer season going to come up here, you know, we're, going, we're trying to get things ready for that, you know, that's a little, little bit different clientele that won't chase the deer than the pig, you know what I'm saying, but, uh, oh, we'll tell you, he's more pig hunter than deer hunter, but you know what I'm saying, but, uh, but uh, yeah, we're doing good, doing good, uh, you know, you boys was talking about tacos, uh, you know, and I don't know about that Austin, San Antonio business there, you know, but uh, I do like tacos. You know what I'm saying? All right, we're down here in the south. All right, and we got some good tacos. All right, you know, and uh, you know what I'm saying? You put a little pork meat on the grill, you know, season it up, put it on the, put it on the corn tortilla there and some, some homemade salsa. All right, you know, it's pretty good. You know, no fooling. All right, now that's good taco, okay? All right, get you some pork tacos, you know, but... Uh, Anyhow, you know, y'all slinging tacos at fish, and I'm trying to put fish in tacos. You know what I'm saying? That's my new thing. All right. But uh, anyhow, uh, you know, I'm glad you boys are doing good. You know, y'all talking about that that smoked whiskey. That kind of got me interested there. So I had to get on my get on the Google there and figure that out. Uh, a lady friend had to help me there. But, uh, you know, uh, that looks pretty nice. That's pretty nice. But uh, anyhow, so. But uh, anyway, back to tacos. You know, you boys talking about tacos. You know, what's y'all's favorite taco? All right, y'all got a favorite taco? Okay. Uh, that's what I want to know. All right, what's your favorite taco? All right, I like them pork tacos. You know, fish tacos, that's pretty good. That's pretty good, you know. Uh, anyhow, uh, that's pretty much it uh, from old wood tip. I'll try to give you boys a call a little bit sooner, you know what I'm saying. Uh, uh, you know, keep in touch with you, with you fellas because, uh, you know, I'm glad y'all are doing all right. You know, I'm glad y'all are doing good. Well, this here's Wood Tip Pickle Chip. Y'all have a good week. So my favorite taco is all of the above. All tacos. All tacos <laughs> yeah. are great tacos. Well, I was going to say Al Pastor, but then I was like, but I love breakfast tacos, and I love... Carnitas. Carnitas. I, you know, I had uh, I had white guy taco night tonight before I came over here. So. Like, carno, like crunchy asada. tacos. Just like uh, crunchy yeah. tacos. It's like Doritos Locos taco. Right? Oh. We go in a whole Boba Gump style taco. Oh thing. man, yeah, fish tacos, <laughs> shrimp tacos. Yeah. Oh man, whatever. Just I have to say all of the above. But if you really made me pick one, I'd have to go Al Pastor. Yeah, mm. yeah. No, you know what? I go breakfast. It's tacos. just the pork. Yeah, I like. I could give up Al Pastor tacos. I couldn't give up breakfast tacos. They all hit differently. Yeah, they're all different. They are. But if you had, if you had to give up all but one type. I'd keep probably fish tacos. Oh, okay. I don't eat them that often. I like them. What about you? Either do I. And that's the thing, though. But there's nothing that could replace it. Like at breakfast tacos, you give me, you take me to a place that's going to have good biscuits, Uh like breakfast biscuits or breakfast tacos. You're putting way too much thought into this. I'm (laughs) (laughs) 50-50. At this point, I'm about 50-50, but I might go more towards the biscuits. Yeah. Al Pastor, I like, but I don't want to give up uh, barbacoa tacos either. Hey, you know what? I'm hitting up those new kolache place on the weekends, and, and you know, they rival my tacos. Uh, that's another point okay. for breakfast. <laughs> trompo. Trompo. The what is that? Marinated pork that's got the red like crust to it. Ooh. Bomb. I don't know if I've ever tried that. Oh, man. I have, you go sounds in. Good. That sounds good, though. Yeah. I'm like, anything like traditional kind of Mexican taco, like. Because that's kind of how Al Pastor is. It's like the little red Got the seasoning, red you know, but it's it's cut up real small. And it's always served with like a little bit of onion, a little bit of pineapple. Yeah. Of so that's the, so they it's the one that they put on the skewer and they rotate it with the fire. And yeah, they have yeah. put the pineapple on top and 
Wait, so what do you call it? It's trompo back home. I mean, that's what oh, they serve it called, as. That's but they, it's al pastor. They, they like shave yeah. it off. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it's the same thing. Though. Yeah. Yeah, marinated pork, but it's just like, oh, it's so good. Yeah. That's some really good ta- uh, shrimp tacos in Baja. God, there's... Yeah. In Baja, yeah. 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 I'm sure that's hard to yeah. beat. Yeah. I mean, pretty much all their tacos are good. Well, so corn or flour? Oh. I like both, but <laughs> I like both. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Breakfast taco flour. Yeah, like an al pastor taco. Al pastor. Corn. It depends corn. on the meat. Yeah, yeah. In Mexico, it's like all their flour stuffs. I mean, uh, corn's great. Do y'all yeah. put yeah. salsa on all of your tacos? No, not necessarily. Mm-hmm. Most, most most tacos I put salsa. A little bit. On. I don't necessarily know. If, yeah, yeah. I don't know if the al pastor though. If they're fully dressed with like cilantro, onion, pineapple, I don't necessarily know if it needs it. Yeah, it doesn't. I would still, still add put a it on heat it. to yeah, it. Though. Yeah, yeah. Well, no. do they give you the Serranos down here? Like, because that's what back home they always give us the Serranos. No, peppers. no Serranos. They do. Um, well, we go uh, Taquitos West. I like the salsa verde, the green salsa. Yeah, this on green it. and this red. And it changes. Oh, Which one's oh. the hottest one changes each time you go. It does. It's true. It's like that is true. That's how you know they're making it fresh every day. It's like which one's the hot one today? Is it the red one? Is it the green one? I live in a like Garland, Texas. So it's like mainly Hispanics now. And uh, man, there's taco shops everywhere. And like there's a 24/7 taco. It's been there since I was in high school, and it is bomb. Yeah. Well, I think the salsa conversation is a good transition to talk about my trip to Big Bend um, because uh, all of the salsa there was extremely hot in Trilingua. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, like it was like chips and salsa. Salsa was like almost too hot for really? me to handle. We had tacos. Salsa was – it was – and I, I will say uh, all of the food that we had on our trip was – fantastic i had some of the best meals of my life really in terlingua yeah that's so weird we too. went we went to a pizza place and uh, uh i had some fantastic pizza and then i went to starlight theater okay yeah i've heard of that uh and had a uh, chicken fried antelope mm-hmm. and it was fantastic that sounds good first time i've had antelope but just like all the food we had there was was fantastic interlingua and interlingua is not everyone asked when it's like, oh, I'm going to Trilingua. Everyone's question is, are you going for the chili cook-off? We did not go for the chili cook-off. Trilingua is famous for chili cook-off they have in November mm. of every year. Um, Sounds like you went at the wrong time, then. <laughs> <laughs> but all the food was great. Um, would you do it again? Would I do Trilingua again? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I would not stay in the bubble again. Okay. I want, I'm interested to hear about why. Okay, so for those who don't know, my wife and I went for our sixth wedding anniversary to Trilingua. They, uh, a couple of years ago, I was looking through a Texas Monthly magazine. They're like, you can stay in this in- bubble with an open ceiling. And I was like, that'd be a cool idea for the future. Well, last year, McKenna and I, uh, for our fifth year, we're like, well, let's go stay in a bubble for like two months before we get on the website. And they're booked up for like nine months. Like, <laughs> you cannot get a, like, you're lucky in like one month to find one night available in one of the bubbles to stay in. So we're like, well, we're not doing it for our fifth. So we'll go ahead and book it now. For our six, so like a year ago, we booked the bubble for this year. We booked based on availability, which was this month because November was already booked out because of the chili cook off. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I would even, not want to stay in the bubble during the show. <laughs> <laughs> you think it expands the bubble? Like just, as you're sleeping, you just wake up and it's a way tighter of a bubble. It just looks like the Northern Lights because the green fog. <laughs> <laughs> so with the bubble, it's it's, it's so pretty. <laughs> Add more. So the bubble, it's an inflatable house, basically uh-huh. apartment place where you can stay uh, that has a clear ceiling. Because Terlingua and West Texas are known for having some of the clearest skies in the country. McDonald Observatory is in Fort Davis, which is near there. It has some of the clearest skies in the United States. And so that's why they put the bubbles out there. You can lay in bed and you can look up and you can see the Milky Way and every star you can imagine um, there. The uh, The bubble was nice. It's pretty expensive to stay in the bubble. So mm. I'll, I'll start with that. The price is... Uh, more it, than you'd expect a bubble to be. Yeah, more than you'd expect a bubble to be. Because <laughs> the hamster ball. Um, they are air-conditioned. That was nice because we went in the summer oh, and man. it was hot. Yeah. Um, now, the downsides of the bubble are just like the small inconveniences that you have to deal with for staying in a bubble. Like what? Um, well, <laughs> like to, keep the bubble, <laughs> the, to keep the bubble pressurized, they have like a double door system, and it's all zippered. And so, like, to go inside, you basically have to – Unzip a door, walk in, rezip it. Unzip a door, walk in, rezip it to keep the bubble inflated. So it's like a basically. vinyl bubble. Yeah. Not like a so glass or they're, and they're constantly blowing air into it to keep it there to <laughs> like keep it inflated. House. Like a bounce house. Is there yeah, someone out there just like <laughs> 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 I was wondering about that. So when you unzip the door, do you see the bubble kind of just like start to deflate you, a little bit? You have to think McKenna said it best when it's kinda of like the space station. You have to like, think about that little room that you first walk into is like your pressurization room because we did have both doors open at one time and the bubble was collapsing. We're like, <laughs> zip it up and then it, it reinflate and they put on the notes too, like, you know, if it does happen, if it does happen you know, it's going to inflate. Don't worry about it. But it did kind of like freak us out. Um, what happens if you sit or lean up against the wall and you have something sharp in your pocket? Yeah, that's probably you, not good. Did you pop the bubble? I mean, it's pretty heavy. It's pretty heavy. It's thick. It's pretty thick. Yeah. That's, pretty that's thick. someone's nightmare is like falling asleep and something like that and waking up suffocating with it on top of you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> someone's like cringing right now. No, for sure. <laughs> now, that would uh, be awful. So they lose power and then the prompts don't work. Oh, that's true. What would happen? The uh, So the bad thing about the bubble, um, some of the negatives, is number one, you wake up in the morning and the sun is right in your face. Yeah, you're Melting. And you have an open you have an open ceiling and it gets hot quick during the day. Yeah. They do have covers, but they don't you can take the cover off. They come and put the cover on for you every day, but you can only take it off. So you can't be the one to put the cover back on every day. Oh. Because it's kind of a pain. Like yeah. it's it's really a pain in the butt. So they come put the cover on and that keeps the air conditioned. And then like before bed, you know, you pull the cover off and then you can see everything. We also had a great view of the Chizos Mountains. Uh, from like our bubble was like facing the Chizos, so we could like see. Do all of the bubbles face the Chizos Mountains? Uh, all the bubbles I saw okay. face the Chizos. <laughs> you want to yeah. be the, don't be the guy in the back row. <laughs> yeah. Like all I'm staring is Landon staring at the Chizos Mountains. <laughs> <laughs> I can see it. Or you get in the parking lot view. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing is that uh, for privacy reasons, they don't allow you to drive up to the bubbles. Because they're basically, because it's open, there are privacy concerns. And so you have to, like, lug your gear, like, 
quite a ways mm-hmm. to like actually unload your like clothing and what you're bringing into the bubble. So pack light. So so pack light. But you know we're going on a hiking Big Bend trip. That's not necessarily a pack light kind of trip. Right. So that's something to consider. Um, Do you I, feel like your privacy was weird? Like, or do you feel you're you're too close to the other bubbles? Uh, there was another bubble close to us, but they do a good job of keeping it private. And as long as people follow the rules, you're good. You know, you're you're not going to. Could people in. sneak Man. into your bubble if they really wanted to? I mean, if they like, wanted to walk have, to the front yeah. of it, yeah, but they're not supposed to. Could they? No. Do you have a lock for your bubble? No locks. That's another thing. Okay. This, no locks for the bubble. Uh, you should have gotten the, it's a zipper. the TSA. Like zipper lock. <laughs> I was thinking, you know, like yeah, the luggage like, can't get out. A little master key, you know, the it. the luggage locks. Yeah. Um, I mean, if the sun's coming in and I got the shirt off, people are blind anyways. It's like <laughs> <laughs> so, so many suns. <laughs> it 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 was cool though. They had Wi-Fi and stuff. I mean, you could still like you know do that. Um, I think I'd feel they, weird getting out of the shower in the bubble. The, the shower is like, so there's like three compartments. You have the main bubble, which basically had a bear, a bed, an air conditioning. A and bear? <laughs> there's a bear in the bubble. And, and that doesn't seem safe. Two And two chairs. You have your like uh, pressure room, uh, which is like the only structured room in the whole bubble where you come in and out, and they have a mini fridge in there. They have a Keurig and, uh, you know. So you I can say keep, you had to unzip to even get to... The fridge. Yeah. Yep. And then they have a bathroom, which is a separate room, which had like your toilet, sink, uh, and shower all combined. Into I did see that. Where I, I don't like want to be. The shower was just deflate. like open. Right. <laughs> it had like the, the wood. Yep. Thing. It's all open. It's like a wet bath, basically. It's all one room. Now, could you look at the stars and take a shower at the same time? Uh, if or you kept you the bathroom door Look open, at the yeah. store stars while taking something else. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, that seems kind of nice. So I, I would Relaxing. say it was absolutely worth doing. Oh, there went a comic. <laughs> <laughs> I would say it was absolutely worth doing uh, one time. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't want that to be a discouraging factor for anyone not to do it because I would absolutely say it's worth doing. I would say, though, I'm not going to spend my money on it again because I've done it, and uh, – it was fun. It was great. We had a great time, but I'm not going to do it again. But if you are, like, on the fence, I, su- I would suggest you should absolutely do it. And even if you just, like, go to Trilingual and you're like, I want to spend one night in the bubble, do one night and then go stay somewhere else the rest I of your wonder, trip. I wonder, A, do they sell off the bubbles after a certain period of time frame? <laughs> because, uh-huh. like, maybe they're outdated and they're trying to keep it up. So you want a deal on a bubble? Huh? You want a deal on a bubble? Yeah. Yeah. Get a bubble. Put it out. Where would you put it? I think it's bigger than your garage. So we actually also, uh, one night while we were in the bubble, um, a monsoon hit. Uh, and that's that cool. was sketchy. Why? I, will I bet say. it was cool. I know. Yeah, I, mean, I, I was thinking, like, that'd be neat. <laughs> well, I mean, like, thunder was hitting, like, right next to our bubble. You do not that's feel cool. safe. Yeah, yeah. You don't feel safe in a bubble. Um, <laughs> well, you should know that when you... Book a room and a bubble. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then the wind and the rain was so high, it was, like, almost lifting the bubble. So, we ended up, like, we went, there's the one interest room is structured. So, we actually, we hung out in there until it passed through. And then we had the clearest, that was, like, the clearest night sky after the monsoon. Oh, yeah. So. That does make sense. Um, but it was cool. It's just, like, what's the, uh, what's the movie where the house gets lifted by the tornado? You're just like in the bubble. <laughs> <laughs> Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz, yeah. 
Yeah, no, it almost kind of felt like that. Um, <clears throat> but instead of me, that monsoon though flipped uh, some trailers at some, some local parks. Oh, really? Yeah, that mon- that monsoon flipped some trailers at some uh, oh, nearby really? parks. Yeah, they they said the wind <laughs> winds were like a hundred miles an hour. Oh, crap. it was serious. Like it wasn't just like eh, a little thunderstorm. It was like it gets wild out there, yeah. like the deserty stuff. How windy it gets? Yeah, crazy. it it was crazy. Um, we I want to know how the plumbing situation worked on that. Feels it's probably like a composting a bit. Yeah, or a smaller bubble. <laughs> a smaller <laughs> bubble on the other side. <laughs> so, well, I mean, they have to be running pipes to get any sort of. They had water a there. separate outdoor building where everything ran through. That's where their air, you know, that they were pushing into mm. ran through. That's where all the plumbing ran through. That's how the water comes in. I'm sure, that's where they. But from from that building into the bubble, because it had a shower and sink in it let alone even like a toilet, so an outward pipe. I wonder how that's all coming in without, I mean, how's that sealed up? I don't know. Was how it all was flushable that? plumbing and everything? Yeah, all flushable plumbing. Oh, they probably just have. Yeah, no. They probably just run plumbing yeah. to it. Yeah. I mean, it's not, yeah. Yeah. It's not that hard. Yeah, I don't think it'd be that hard, but I'd just be curious as to what it, how it's It's cool. There's nothing bubble. really else like that I've ever seen. No. I mean, you see like the tree houses and stuff. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that was the bubble. We went to Big Bend. Uh, you took the Jeep? We rented a Jeep for a day, did How some off-road that? trails. It was super fun. Yeah. I will say we got a Jeep Gladiator. Uh, we did some off-road trails in my truck. Truck can handle it. It's four-wheel drive, not a problem. My truck has very stiff suspension, uh-huh. so we got tossed around. Yeah. Next day we rented the Jeep, and it was like the smoothest yeah, that's great. ride. It was nice. Uh, we did some fun trails. And uh, we made mostly to driving. We drove all around the park. We yeah, did it's things. It's such a big park. It's we just... we didn't do any hiking because it was so hot. Another yeah. recommendation: go in like January. We went in Fe- we went the first week of February, and it was awesome. I yeah. went in November uh, a couple years back, I uh-huh. guess now, and it was still hot then. Yeah. Really? Yes. Yeah. No, February was perfect. Like. Honestly, it got up to like 70 in the middle of the day, and nights were like in the 40s. I will say we camped, though, and nights were cold because we went to Marfa one night, and it was like 25 overnight. Mm. Cold. So, yeah, we, we drove all around the park. It was great. One of the coolest things we did, uh, the guy that we rented the Jeep from, uh, he recommended we drive from Terlingua to Presidio, mm-hmm. Highway 170, and he sold it to us as the second most scenic drive in the United States. Outside of what? Out, outside of Highway 1. I was going to say along California. Along California. Yeah. And we're like, well, that pretty much has us sold. We're definitely going to do that. So we, it's about an hour and a half drive. Um, it goes from Terlingua to Presidio. You basically follow the Rio Grande the whole way. Uh-huh. And you're up and down mountains. You're basically driving through Big Bend Ranch State Park. Okay. Um, and that was... And fantastic drive. And really? I would have to... I've never done Highway 1. I'm sure Highway 1 is more scenic based on pictures I've seen. But I have not taken a more scenic drive ever than that drive from Terlingua to Presidio. That's awesome. Um, we did a flight, too. How was that? That was fun. It was in a Cessna 502 or 205. Mm-hmm. 205. Uh, 205. Cessna 205. That was great. We flew over the state park, and he just pointed out stuff to us, gave us a lot of history, the mining history. Uh, it, you know, Terlingua in that area is a um, historic mining town mm-hmm. for mercury. Mm-hmm. And uh, he gave us the history, 
We flew over the state park. We got to see all the sites from above, and then we actually got to drive to the park and see them in person. So we, I had a good lay of the land after doing the flight. Yeah. Um, one cool story he told us, uh, the pilot was a uh, park ranger for uh, Big Ben for like 30 years, and uh, he was a real real interesting guy. He told us a story about why we were in the air, about how he had to – he's like, oh, and over there is uh, – that's where I had to crash land. That's where I had to emergency land the plane because my <laughs> engine blew out. And we're like, well, dude, oh, what man. are you talking about? And he's like, oh, don't worry. This thing's got a brand-new engine, and it's only got 5,000 hours. Yeah. We're like, dude, what, <laughs> what is going on? Oh, man. Uh, so the story goes he was up in the air on a flight, and – uh, and a piston blew in the engine. Piston shot up. Engine went out. He had to do an emergency landing into Big Bend National Park. It was in a very remote area. You couldn't drive to. It was like in this valley. So to get the plane out, he uh, got a bunch of his friends. They took like 20 mules, and they hiked 20 mules in there, and they disassembled the plane, and then they hiked the plane out, and then when they got back, they put the plane back together, put a new put Engine. a new motor in it oh, and man. now it's fly, flying again 5000 hours yeah dude that's crazy yeah no the flight the flight we had a great time on the flight uh it was a good trip uh it was a good trip if you guys go i recommend stay in the bubble at least one night if you do that cross your fingers for clear skies we had our first night was not clear skies so that's a risk you take do a couple nights uh go to the state park go to the national park Book a flight. Um, there's all kinds. Like we were busy the whole time. We're having fun. So, uh, it's it. Whatever you guys want to do, if you want to hike, it's there. If you want to eat good food, it's there. If you want to drive, it's there. If you want to rent a jeep, it's there. If you want to, whatever, you can do canoe trips on the Rio Grande through uh, San uh, Santa Elena Canyon, um, Colorado Canyon, which is in the state park. Um, those are all things that we went and saw, and I was like, man, I'd love to canoe through these canyons. So. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Nice. Yeah, that's it for that. Um, let's do our articles very quickly, and yeah. then we will. Unless you got you guys have anything else or nope. Okay, I'll go first. All right, and you're doing Florida man, no fooling. All right, it's kind of like hold my beer. All right, you know what I'm saying. It's just Florida man. That's all it is. All right, so Florida man was tired of having to fill potholes near his business. Uh-huh. Basically, the story is that uh, he had potholes on a public street near his business. The county would not repair the holes and said, that's your responsibility to repair the potholes. Apparently, these potholes are pretty severe, where like vehicles were like getting stuck in these potholes if they drove into them. He got tired of it. So instead of filling the potholes with concrete like he had done in the past and they just open up again, he filled the pothole with a banana tree. In the middle of the road. In the middle of the road. Uh-huh. <laughs> Basically, twofold. One, to send a message because it shouldn't be his responsibility to fill a pothole. If the... If it was on his property, it's obviously his responsibility. But if it's on a public roadway that everyone takes, it should be the local county or local city responsibility to fill potholes. One, to send a message. And number two, you know, liability, if he's the one filling the potholes, liability could fall on him. So putting a tree in the middle of the road is like, there's a tree here. (laughs) You know, it's obvious there's a pothole. You're going to drive around it. Yeah. So, you know... Twofold Florida man creativeness, and you know, 
point point number three, you got free bananas now. Man. You don't got to buy bananas from the grocery store. I like this Florida man. I'm yeah. here to support him. Yeah, that is a short story, but I think hilarious, and I think uh, showing the creative nature of of hey, people and Florida people. Every Florida man's different. So that's my story for this week. What do you got this week, Zach? So I'm starting a new segment. You know, their creature watches are coming, coming and going. Uh, we've done a lot. We've, done, we've a lot. done like we have done a lot. We've done 50, 55, 56 of them. Fifty six creature watches. Right. So I'm going to change it up a little bit. Um, I was recently. Like, I recently found out that there's WikiHow articles, right? Most of the time, they're great. But there's a whole segment of WikiHow articles on how to survive anything in the wild, but more particularly, how to survive different wild animal encounters. Okay. Right? They are ridiculous. Like, there's some good stuff, but a lot of it is just ridiculous. Do you feel like, okay, before you start, do you feel like WikiHow is a good resource for these or do you think they're more like tongue in cheek and I think it funny? wants to be good. Okay. <laughs> I think it wants to be good. Okay. Right. Okay. I don't I don't think it sets out with the goal of, oh man, we're gonna give like the worst advice possible. I think it's like these are this is so much advice that some of it is ridiculous. You know what I mean? Okay. So it's not like when seeing a rattlesnake drop and roll kind of stuff. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Stop <laughs> drop and roll. <laughs> so be, you know. Stomp on it with your bare feet. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, so, today I'm going to open us up with how to survive a coyote attack. <laughs> so, right, there's different methods. Number one, you want to create an unwelcome environment for, for coyotes. So, the number <laughs> way. <laughs> this um, is going to be a rip apart fest. The okay. number <laughs> one way to survive a coyote attack is to make sure it's an unwelcome environment for coyotes. They suggest things like keeping trees and shrubbery neatly trimmed <laughs> and install coyote-proof fences around your property, right? That way you, you know you're good. Make sure or, you murder all the small bunnies. <laughs> <laughs> coyotes won't want to come around. Don't nothing. have any pets at home. <laughs> uh, oh, no, we'll get to the pets. Okay. All right, the second one. Obviously, do not leave food outside of your home or campsite, right? It goes as far as to even say maybe if you have like an or- orange tree or an apple tree, it's time to get rid of it, <laughs> right? Because any fallen fruit can also lead to coyotes coming to your home and eating you. <laughs> uh, the next one, prepare for encounters with coyotes if you frequent their natural habitat. They suggest having a water gun with vinegar that is vinegar filled. Right, they're like, hey, if you're going out into the wild, make sure you bring a water gun that has some vinegar in it. You'll be good. So I don't know. Okay, all right, go on. So next two method two, right? So we've talked about creating an unwelcoming environment for coyotes. All right. The next thing is, and when you actually encounter a coyote, what do you do? So <laughs> don't frighten the coyote. Right. Uh, don't even let your shadow frighten the coyote. Right. Uh, coyotes will. Uh, shadow people and they'll walk through and follow them around wherever they go. It says you should engage in hazing with the coyote. So, so give it a bunch of alcohol. Yeah, like, <laughs> <laughs> here, bro, here's a beer bong. Yeah, yeah. Uh, essentially, the haze is to scare the animal away from you, right? And the uh, alternative being what? Right. Yeah. Okay. Come here. All right. <laughs> uh, they say throw sticks and rocks. Uh, also, spray your water gun. 
that's filled with vinegar, add it, as well as bang pots together. <laughs> Since, well, they told me to bring a water gun, right. but they did not tell me to bring pots. No. So, so all of a sudden, I'm out in the wild, and I have pots handy, <laughs> and I'm going to start banging them together. Yeah, you got to scare the coyote away. Uh, okay. That's the point. So, you, you want a field of pots? Right. Yeah. It's yeah. like pots everywhere. Yeah, pots. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> pots everywhere. <laughs> don't bring clay pots. Yeah. Uh, the next one, protect more vulnerable members of your group. They suggest putting yourself in between small children and other pets. Shield them. Protect them. Care for them. Uh, I thought step one, rule one of any animal attack was run faster <laughs> yeah. than the person no, next to you. The same no, do not turn your back on the coyote at any point. Right? As long as your kid's not fast enough, it doesn't matter. You make it out. Uh, okay, face the coyote and escape backwards. Back away carefully. Never run away. Uh, throw sticks or clumps of dirt <laughs> at the coyote. Or, right? Or boss sh- shot shells. However, avoid hitting the coyote's head. This may intensify the animal's aggression. Yeah, since everyone out in the wild is a pro baseball player, can just nail a coyote right where they want to in a stressful situation. Yep. All right. All they right. Uh, they want you to be loud and bold. Be bold out there, guys. Protect your throat and arteries if the animal attacks you. And guys, uh, WikiHow half the things are their pictures that go along. <laughs> there, right. The the pictures are half the best part. So we have a man here who is clenching his neck. To protect it, right? It looks like he's choking himself. Okay, so let me ask you this. How can you, one, spray a vinegar water gun, bang pots and pans together, or throw clumps of dirt at a coyote when your hands are like this around your I own I think neck? by that point they're saying it's too late. <laughs> I don't think it's like a do-all-at-once situation. <laughs> Shaky Graves could do it. He's got like four hands (laughs) Uh, Last last couple things Avoid harming the animal Right It is illegal They also want you to know It's illegal to keep wild animals And domesticate them We've covered that enough Yeah People keeping gators and stuff Yeah Exactly So A coyote's not a pet Yeah That's it What I think is interesting about the article Is number one I think it's obviously written by someone who has never seen a coyote. <laughs> yeah, um, or have lived with them for a while. It's it's written by somebody who has no idea. Yes. And then the other thing is, is like bear attacks are one thing. People encounter bears in the wild fairly often. Coyotes are around, but you don't see them because they don't want to be seen. Yeah. I mean, have we ever reported on a coyote attack? We've reported on multiple bear attacks that have mm-hmm. happened. There was a mountain possible mountain lion attack, I think, up in your neck of the woods. Mm, yeah, it was actually right down the street. Yeah, it happened. <laughs> we, we see coyotes. I mean, I see them in my backyard. I live in a little residential area. Uh, but when I see them, they're gone. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they don't yeah. stick around. No, they don't stick around. I I haven't personally heard of a coyote attack. I'm, I yeah. might be interested in looking into it, but I mean, like all if, the things to write an article about. Yeah. There was one over in well, my area, too. Man, animals just getting back on people. Uh, <laughs> it was in Frisco, I think, but it was like a... I forget. I think there's a video about it or something. Yeah. My only thing is if a dingo can eat a baby, then a coyote could probably bite you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> only thing I'd be scared about that is those 
awesome rabies shots you're gonna have to get afterwards yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, <laughs> what, that's what they don't cover is if it does bite you go to the doctor well and i think people will be surprised and with cliff cliff you know what's the ratio of coyotes to you know how close they live to people in the u.s I think it was like there's a coyote den within two miles of every single person in the united states yeah, yeah. well hey i guess this is a good one to cover then because but the thing is there's a coyote den within two miles of every person in the united states but how rare it actually is to see a coyote. Yeah. yeah. You know, they it just goes to show that they don't, they don't, I mean, people go hunting for coyotes and do calls and they don't call them in. I mean, yeah. they're just super smart. They don't want to be seen. They want to be out and away. And that's what's caused them to survive so well and also thrive uh, while other animals have not. However, outside of like deer, I feel like I see coyotes the most. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. I feel like I've seen more in the last five, seven I, years yeah. than I have seen ever. Yeah, yeah. I think you see them more too when you start looking at wildlife and, and like looking uh, for them and looking yeah. for them. That's true. Um, and I did see one driving home on uh, Vance Jackson from yeah, a podcast. Yeah. Uh, she was probably months ago at this point. Yeah, but across the street, but there's a den over there somewhere. Coyote across the street. They're hanging out. But cool. I think those wiki are going to be fun. Yeah, like uh, that. that stat mm-hmm. comes from Coyote America, by the way. I'm not taking credit for that. I just wanted to read Great book if anybody yeah. needs some good reading material. This episode is brought to you by HP. When you're working apart from your team, feeling connected can be a challenge. Presenting HP Presence, a more thoughtful human collaboration technology. With enhanced audio and video features, you can experience more genuine collaboration and feel more connected. Be in the room, from any room, with HP Presence. Learn more at hp.com forward slash presence. This episode is brought to you by Cox Contour TV. Sometimes it's hard to decide what to watch, but Cox Contour TV helps make that decision easier. Enjoy live TV, on-demand programs, DVR recordings, and music all in one place. And only with the sound of your voice with the Contour Voice Remote. Plus, catch the golf and basketball action you've been waiting for on the Contour Sports app. Learn more at coxcox.com slash contour. <laughs> all right, Stephen. Let's, uh, let's start with the questions we got sent in okay. uh, to ask you. Let's see what we have here. How many howler monkeys live in your beard? Oh, at least a dozen. <laughs> They're very quiet howler monkeys, though. Like, they just don't talk much. If you get close enough, though, you want to nuzzle a little bit? You can hear them. You want to nuzzle? He's like, He's I'm going to stay over here. <laughs> yeah. uh, the other Who question, is that? Who sent that? Uh, out fly fishing outfit. Oh, Josh. Josh, yeah. Um, and the other question was, best green dray catch you've ever seen? That's another Canadian guy. Uh, Fishing Bow River. Yep. That is uh, up there. Uh, Man, it was awesome. We hit a, there was a storm, a hail storm, and the green dray catch was so good. We just kept fishing and just absorbed the hail shots (laughs) (laughs) until it got too bad. And then we got underneath the trees for a little bit. But that was an awesome uh, green dray catch. There's some pictures on my gram. Me eating some green dra- green drakes. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh man, <clears throat> that was an epic one. So, uh, two questions we ask almost all of our guests. Yeah. Uh, how did you get into fly fishing? So and or hunting. Yeah. Uh, 
both my dad, I mean, indirectly fly fishing. He didn't teach me necessarily, but he um, he started fly fishing in the creeks and stuff back home for bluegill bass. And then occasionally, we, we, every summer, we go out to Colorado. So he, he started doing it that way. And then when we were in the How creeks. How old were you when you started? Uh, probably middle school to, yeah, I'd say that. And okay. it was just more like, let me see the rod, you know, yeah. play around with it. Because I would take a spinning rod, and this is my method of fly fishing back then, was a spinning rod with a wonder bobber, you know, the one you could fill up with a little water, mm-hmm. uh-huh. and then a fly on the end. And that's what I would fish in the creeks all the time. And then eventually I just kind of moved over, used his stuff, you know, for quite a while until I got my own setup. And actually my first personal setup that I purchased myself was an access rod. So, which, I don't know, 10, was that 10, 12 years old? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I would fish like humpies with the wonder bobber for bluegill, <laughs> you know, because you can cast them. And that's, I tell people a lot when they come to the stores, like, you want to get a kid into fly fishing? That's probably the best way to do it. Besides a... Uh, what's the the little practice rod with some fly line on it? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's how I got started. Uh, and then I remember one of the last trips. Man, that's been a long time. Uh, me and my dad went to. Um, hang, I can't remember uh, the river up there towards uh, Aspen. I'm blanking on the name right now. Frying pan. Frying pan. Yeah. Um, uh, I picked up one of his rods, and it was just like. You know, it was very easy for me to do it, you know, just from watching. And I kind of went from there, and I just kept going and then started going to Broken Bow on my own, uh, Lower Mountain Fork River, and proceeded with that. And then uh, eventually, you know, working for Orvis. So it's been cool. What's been your most memorable fish on the fly? And this, I asked this to somebody who has caught many fish that everyone dreams of. Like bucket list fish. <laughs> like most people's bucket list fish, Steven's checked. Still checking off a lot. There's a lot out there. Um, <laughs> you know, honestly, some of the more memorable fish are not the ones I've caught. <laughs> it's been actually people on trips that have attended yeah. with me. When I'm fishing, it's a little different. Uh like, a lot of people wonder, like, when I catch fish, I don't get all worked up and crazy and, like, yelling, you know, like some people do and get excited. Like, I, I'm real mellow. <laughs> and they're, like, people are, like, oh, you know, are you you having a good time? <laughs> uh, and it's all, that's just my style of fishing. But when I see someone else catch a fish, man, I get really worked up. Yeah. It's kind of cool. So, one of them is with Josh. Um, actually, Phil, is a, he was 80 at the time. He went to Canada with us. And um, it's not the easiest fishery to traverse and, like, get around. So, uh, and he, this is one of his favorite fish, too, Josh's. Um, we actually carried or helped Phil across the river to get to this fish that we knew was over there. We had seen it, a uh, 22-inch uh, West Slope cutthroat. And um, I've got some pictures I can send you, but it's the whole process. Uh, so we get him in line, get him set up. He catches this fish, gets it right and it comes off somehow or another and uh he ends up catching it twice and it's like this whole and then the pictures i mean it's just amazing and this guy's he came in the shop two days ago he's 83 just bought a pair of waders he's gonna go fish oh man somewhere in uh colorado with his uh son-in-law so i mean that'd be i mean that's one that i would think of like automatically just yeah that's a cool story and a cool person to catch that fish and it was a team effort, right? So everybody had a part. Yeah. Um, personally, I mean, 
man, there's a, there's a lot of good fish to catch. And, uh, I mean, some of the earlier ones of me personally fishing, just like little Creek bass, you know, sight casting those guys and just yeah. getting the reaction bite, right. You know, you're leading the fish, you're making the cast, you're getting that mm-hmm. eat what we're all looking for the eat. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, that would be, that would be probably the most memorable. Okay. Even though it's not mine. <laughs> no, and we've talked about it before too. I think when we had grandma on really on the point, I, I'm kind of like you. I get more excited people catching their first fish on the fly mm-hmm. because you almost get to you get to relive that experience through them. Yeah, for sure. And uh, it brings like I went with my dad uh, down the Smith River mm-hmm. this year. I could have not caught a fish the whole trip, been perfectly happy, but seeing him catch. You know, he we had done a trip on the Lano, and he caught some bass with me. But seeing him catch his first trout, you know, he the last time he had caught a trout, he was a kid, right? You know, spin fishing in Colorado or New Mexico, and then come full circle. Now he goes on this. We get to go on this trip together, and he's catching rainbow trout, brown trout, whitefish on a fly rod, and I'm there. Like I that made the trip better because I was there watching him experience those things the first time. And I could have just sat in the back of the boat. Yeah, for sure. You know, just having a good time, time, enjoying the views, and it wouldn't have made my trip any less memorable. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the times, I like, my dad used to take me dove hunting when I was a little kid. We'd fish and stuff. But, like, now it's reverse roles. So now I've taken them with Alvin. I've taken them with Steve Hollinsett, and Yeah. Um, he's went to Falcon's Ledge with me. So, And he doesn't even fish. Like, he's not – passionate about it like i am like he'll catch a couple fish and he's good but seeing that it's cool um and you know even like buddies my buddy carlos that came on the trip to bolivia like he always we push each other you know to to be better at something and i'm of course a little bit more knowledgeable than he is i've kind of started him in that the fly fishing realm and uh but a lot of times i was like i want you to fish like and i would tell like maybe the guide or whoever i was like keep him in front because you're going to have the better opportunity as you're moving up yeah. river, you know, because it's all about that, sharing that cool experience and seeing other people grasp onto it and um, have that feeling that you get every time you go on yeah. a trip, you know. Uh, that's what's cool about fly fishing. I mean, it brings people together uh, in different ways, of course. But Yeah, no, for sure. So uh, your most recent trip that you are like a week off of mm-hmm. – you got back a week ago, roughly. Yeah, just over. Um, is you went to Bolivia, mm-hmm. and we're fishing for Dorado. Yep. So uh, walk us through uh, your process of, like, why this trip and uh, the group that went with you and just, like, the pre-trip, everything pre-trip before we get into actually what happened on your trip. So there's always, like, I always have a trip in the back of my mind of, like, what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily like a bucket list of like all these different trips. When I do a trip, then I'm like automatically already thinking of the next one, um, <laughs> uh, which is, you know, it's probably common from a lot of people, but yeah. um, you know, I did Christmas Island and that trip was epic too. Caught some GTs and stuff. And uh, that was, you know, at the time when I did that trip, it, that stuff was really big. You know, everybody wants to catch triggers and GTs and, oh man, it's epic. But anyways, um, so then I've known Federico and, uh, 
Patrick for a while now. Um, and, and I the know owners of Angling Frontiers. Angling Frontiers, yep. yeah. I which, met Frederico uh, at uh, Trout Fest and I think went to dinner with him one night. He's a yeah, really he was nice with guy. Us. Yeah. yeah, came with us. Um, yeah, super nice guy. Patrick, super nice guy. And they they do things the right way. Um, but it's like when you look at the experience, it's not just the fish, right? This is an adventure. Um, you're in the middle of nowhere jungle, like 300 kilometers basically from any town in the middle of jungle amazon rain you know jungle um with a river going down the middle of it so there's a lot of things that pique your interest when doing that right before we get too far so angling frontiers yep. does trips to bolivia for people to go fish it yeah is, i mean that's their outfit that's their is, outfit uh, patrick's and Rico's bolivia trips yes right. um so they're both originally they're bolivian um, they came to the States, went to school. Federico stays in Dallas area, and Patrick kind of stays at the lodge there in Bolivia. And they have like a, you know, they work different sides of the, the outfit. Okay. Um, and then, of course, Federico goes down there. He's down there right now mm-hmm. um, for a few months. But I don't know how – I can't remember how I met Federico. And, but, you know, you see if you're – any kind of fisherman at all. I mean, you see golden rod and you're like, holy crap, look at that fish yeah. that lives in this trout stream, basically. Clear water, not very wide, super shallow, just crushing bait, And, and right? Dorado might not be on some of our listeners' like radar. Yep. You, you explain what a Dorado looks like and how big they are. and Yeah, I think the record Dorado is like 75 pounds. I mean, it's huge. Like, I didn't for, catch anything that for size. A river fish, and that's though, a river that's, fish. Um, I think that's more down in Argentina and okay. some of the lakes and stuff. But okay. um, there's two major places that people go is Argentina and Bolivia. Okay. Bolivia has more of the streams. Um, that's more of the jungle. Right. Like, you're going to hike in for a day or two to get to, to even get to the places. Possibly, sort of yeah. Yeah. You know, they. Um, so it's a big yellow fish, uh, Golden Dorado. The name's pretty. Easy on that, but the uh, they got a huge head, uh, just lots of teeth, and they're aggressive. Um, and there's other species in the jungle that are awesome too, but that's the main um, target majority of people yeah, are looking people for. People are doing Dorado trips and then catching these yeah, other Paku, species, Yatarana, and some other species too, which are all, I mean, Not so it's fish. it's yeah, it's like if if uh, so a good term would be what Yako uses, we're all fish sluts. Like we want to catch every fish there is. Right. <laughs> um, the, uh, that's the cool thing of going to places like that is learning those different species and what it takes to catch them. Yeah. Um, but big, big fish that are aggressive that live in trout styled waters that attack and kill <laughs> their bait, you know, or their food source. So, um, and they're not always like that. They can be super spooky and, not aggressive, but when they are, it's unreal. And you see the videos about it, right? Um, and I'm super fortunate I get to experience that now. But, um, yeah, it, starting out, it's just a thought. You're like, hey, I want to go there. I never knew, never thought I would. Um, start talking to Federico more. I can actually make this happen. Um, so probably over the last four years, I've kind of been, you know, thinking about it and getting closer and closer to the point. How much does a trip like that cost? So that trip is – 59 for what we did. So there's two different styles of trip they do. They do one where you stay more at the lodge and you fish the lower waters, especially for people that are, you got to have some physical ability to do the upper stretches. 
Um, it's 5550, I think it is, in the, the river or jungle experience where you're moving upriver and, you know, potentially going places that maybe nobody's ever been is fifty nine fifty, and then you have a $550 indigenous fee, which that helps support those indigenous communities that Federico and them work with, um, the Chamani tribe. So they're with you the whole time too, which the is tribe, like, part of the tribe is. Yeah. Yeah. So they have people that, I mean, they live on the sides of the river mm-hmm. and grass thatched houses. And, yeah. um, they, over the past 10 years have been, you know, Patrick has been working with them to build that, what they're building now. And so they use that money to help purchase the things that they need to live in the jungle. And it's a lot of, it's like medicines and stuff like that. Yeah. So they can, um, you know, have a better life. Um, and tools and, you know, all kinds of stuff, shoes for kids and things like that. Um, so, you know, it's a cultural thing. It's just wild all around. You know, you, you see what people originally came from. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Living a subsistence, nomadic style of and life. And I think, again, that it, we've all talked, because people have asked us what our bucket list trip is, and I think it all comes down to, like, I want to go to Mongolia Oh yeah. at some point. And it's not even about the – time in or any other fishing it's literally the culture mm-hmm. of mongolia i want to be there for a week yeah um and would you say this you know that immersing yourself in the culture uh, you said the chamani tribe mm-hmm. of the chamani tribe was a worthwhile experience in and of itself if you take the fishing out of it yeah i don't you know i almost wish i could have immersed myself even more into it mm-hmm. and we hung out with them and there was one day i was feeling a little funky so I actually stayed back with the Chamanis and like they were eating lunch with me and like hanging out and yeah, we don't speak the same language at all. Right. Um, but you kind of laugh and smile at each other and yeah. you know, yeah. uh, and then they let me shoot their bows and you play around with that and you know, uh, just certain things and certain aspects, uh, that are really cool to experience when you're with someone that's like that. I mean, everything's, I can't imagine like, when you whip out a phone, you take a picture and you show it to them. They're like, what the hell is this sorcery? <laughs> right. you know? Yeah. You know, they're used to it now. It's been nine, ten years. But they I don't have first. a lot of that Western, you know. And I've heard, you know, Patrick told me they will go back into towns. But they're Chamani's towns, basically. So they have some stuff. But it's yeah. not like anything what we would have. Right. I mean, sensory overload, they come over here, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> um. So you did the immersive jungle right. one. Anyway, so you get there. And do you stay at the lodge at all? Yeah, we stay there two days in the, the open. So the lodge is still in the middle of jungle. It's So just logistics-wise, from Dallas, we flew to Houston, Houston to Panama City, Panama City to Santa Cruz. So 7 a.m. to 9 p.m. we got there at Santa Whoa, Cruz. Okay. Um, by the time we got through getting our visas and everything, <clears throat> it's 11 o'clock. Right. Uh, we get to the hotel, which... Um, it's part of the, the trip, you know, it's, um, a five-star hotel. It's an awesome hotel. Got a pool, you know, something to hang out. We weren't there, but <laughs> a few hours. Right. So our, our next flight was on a Cessna, um, 210, I think it is. And, um, you leave a smaller airport and fly into the jungle airstrip right there where the river's at. Mm-hmm. It's the Casare River and Pichani. I'm probably mispronouncing that one. Terrible names, but those two confluences there and um you get off the plane you load all your gear into dugout canoes that they you know they make out of logs um yeah. or trees 
<clears throat> theirs are a little different. They they add a supportive or a, another layer above it to give it more. You know, they weight them down pretty good, and they have long tail motors. And then now it's a two hour boat ride to the main lodge. So you're going up river. You get pretty much above the Chamani tribes housing. You know, like uh. where they live, you're above that. Previously their airstrip and they're always making it better there. So it used to be like a seven hour boat ride or five to seven hour boat ride, depending on stuff. Uh-huh. So now they've got a closer airstrip. You go up there, you arrive at the lodge. We got there, I don't know, 3 PM. So 6 AM flight to it takes about two to two and a half hours to get to the jungle. And then another two to three hours on the boat ride, depending on how long everything takes. Yeah. Um, They've got an awesome chef there, <laughs> which he he travels with you if you do go. Okay, which is kind of cool. I mean, the food's amazing. Um, Marco, he's Argentinian, and he's a uh, you know same thing with him. He doesn't speak English, but right. you figure stuff out, right? Yeah. And he greets you with Casare lemonades, which is their drink. <laughs> uh-huh. So it's a a Sagani liquor, I think, is n- native to there, mm. and um, lemonade basically. It's really good, and they cook you lunch, and you're you're there. Um, and luckily, we got there early enough we could do some fishing that evening. So that evening, we went out for Paku um, and actually caught my first Paku on the first evening. <laughs> so I was super fortunate on yeah. that. I still can't believe that. So, okay, uh, and let's – Paku, I saw your picture. I yep. know what a Paku is. Most people probably don't. Mm-mm. But well, – uh, Maybe from the aquariums because yeah. a lot of people – Album in aquariums. So, what kind of flies did you use? How do they react? Uh, that that sort of thing. So, paku are nut and fruit and other stuff feeding. So, they're omnivores. Um, they eat hoppers and beetles and nuts and stuff like that. So, what you're looking for is in usually in deeper, slower pools. I hang out, and they're basically like a big bluegill. If you think about a twenty pound, thirty pound bluegill. Um, no, that's exactly what they look like. Pretty similar. Um, black, and there's other species of them too, but um, you'll specifically there, I tied a bunch of like big hoppers and some nut flies that if I'd known, I would have tied them differently, but they're there listening to, or they're there to hear, like they hear the sound of the nuts falling into the, the, the river. And it's this very specific sound. You know, it's like calm pool, you throw a, a pebble, you know, it makes that sound. And you can sight cast to them. Um, we never had the opportunity to find one just like in a specific spot. So we were blind casting these nut flies that they, uh, the, I think the one I caught my fish on was a reproduction of that, like an actual tied fly. But sometimes they will actually take the nut and just like cut a slit in it and put it on a hook uh-huh. because you want that density and that, so they get that perfect, that perfect plop. Cause yeah. the flies I tied were, um, out of like a, I tied a few different versions, but hair or like wool, um, and I weighted them uh-huh. so they they would still plop, but it wasn't the same plop. It's a little different. And as soon as you switched, you just realize, you know, um, and those trees that are letting the, the the nuts off, you know, it when it's happening, those fish are looking for that. Right. In in those lower sec sec sections where we fished, it's not as clear as the upper stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so we would stand up in the dugout canoes and those uh those nut flies are not the easiest to cast uh-huh. 
so everybody ducks while you're casting, basically, because <laughs> uh, they're they're the low flying fruit, I guess you could say. I mean, they're they're super even the reproductions because you want that density, right? Right. Um, they're just a, a solid mass with a hook, and so when they land, they make that noise, and you're blind casting and trying to get them into these areas where Paku will hold. Um, a lot of times, right, pretty close to the walls and pretty close to the banks mm-hmm. where those trees and stuff overhang. So they make a cast, plop, make a cast, plop. And now they told me that they hit pretty hard um, and aggressively. And, you know, everybody, the other people I've talked to, the same thing. They, they take pretty aggressively, and it's probably because there's other ones down there and they're fighting over it or something. For I don't a know. nut. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> yeah, fighting over the nut. Um, but this one, I cast it out, and what you do is you kind of wait for that fly to drop in the water column. So you're watching your fly line tip, and you're watching that kind of sink. And so you make that cast, you make some real long, slow casts because it picks it up and then drops it. And uh, made a few casts, nothing. And then all of a sudden, I made a cast, and I start my long strip, and I just feel tension. And I was like, at first, I didn't know it was the fish. <laughs> and I just kept pulling, came tight, and then raised the rod, and then I could feel it, and it started running, you know. And you're staying up in the dugout canoe, so everybody oh. at that point's like, you know, they're pretty stable. Okay. I mean, I'm a – taller bigger guy you know i'm not the like the light as a feather and i've got pretty good balance in those like i had no trouble gotcha. standing up on like i stand up on a diablo yeah more stable than a diablo i'd say more um, stable than a diablo yeah just okay. whether long oh yeah and they've got you know i think the more weight you have in them they sink just like a canoe you know right it gets so to that balancing point yeah um and then we fought that fish in the boat until it was a little bit more tired and then we jumped on the beach and one of the craziest things, I just think about this, um, we get this fish in, we grab it, and you know those little uh, catfish that swim up your woohoo, uh-huh. <laughs> that you don't want to swim up your woohoo. Yeah. <laughs> so those things, I didn't know this, um, they will attack a fish if they feel the distress, uh-huh. and they'll swim in their gills, and they'll attach, and it'll cause a bleed, right? And then all of a sudden, because they're bleeding, now there's they attack it, that fish, and they'll kill the fish. So we had one attach. And we picked the fish up. We could see it hanging out. And they, like, automatically were, like, pulling it out. And uh, everybody's, like, stomping on it. The little catfish thing. And yeah. it's the same one. It's the same one that swims up right. the, the hole. Yeah. <laughs> um, Wait, is that a real thing? Yeah, it's a like, real thing. If yeah. you pee in the river, they, like, They're know attracted. to go up it. Yeah. Attracted to the ammonia. Whatever, ammonia, yeah. That's in your urine. Um, or whatever it is. Anyways. That is a scary thought. Yeah, don't pee yeah. in the river. Yeah, you know then once it gets up there, it has spikes. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, you're never getting out of it. You're just yeah, have, I mean, you're, they got to fillet it open. Just to gotta, get it I out. mean, catfish peen You're just calling up Lorraine Abava at that time, <laughs> and you're just ready to go. <laughs> no, um, the uh, yeah. So it's crazy. We saw one, you know. They and then what's crazy is we pulled that one off. We stuck it back in the fit, the water to revive it, and we had a net, and you could see them trying to attack it. Uh-huh. So you're like, you're trying to move it. So we moved it a little bit and finally got away from them, and then we took our photos and stuff. But um. That's wild, right? Everything's trying to get everything or attack everything in the jungle. Like, everything's trying to eat something. Um, if it's not a bug trying to eat you, it's a catfish trying to swim up the wrong way. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I caught that Paku, and then we fished a little longer, and that was the first evening. It was cool. Um, How many days were you fishing? It's seven. Well, including, so it's like, well, I guess eight if you combine. You fish a little bit before you fly out and uh, a little bit in the evening, so... 
Okay. So, you know, maybe three, four hours on each end. But you get six full, by the time seven you get there. Seven full days for sure, yeah. Wow. Seven full days for sure. By the yeah. time you get there, because it sounded like it almost took two days just to get there. A uh, day and a half. So, you know, one day of travel to Santa Cruz, and then you take about a half day. And that's why you get that little half day of maybe fishing if At you the, want in to. In the evening. Yeah, in the okay. evening or in the morning before you fly out again. Gotcha. So, um, okay, so you're, you're uh, second day... I guess first day of full fishing, you wake up. Where are you, where are you guys going? What are you guys doing? Yeah, so we wake up in the jungle that they have. And I'll just talk about their lodge a little bit too because it's pretty amazing what they have built in this jungle, right? There's nothing. Um, everything they've taken, they – so Patrick's a uh, – was uh, he went to school for, uh, you know, uh, animal – I can't remember what the heck it's called. Animal science. Yeah, environmental maybe science. environmental science or something like that, and knows a lot about the um, environment in general. And so they built their lodge out of the natural woods in the jungle with chainsaw mills and stuff like that, and that's what they've got. Um, but they left where they've built the the lodge. They've left plenty of trees around you, so you're still in the jungle. You're they didn't just like clear cut it right, and so you see the crazy trees that have the vines with thorns on them. You see, I mean, there's tarantulas and, you know, all kinds of, you're in the jungle. You're immersed in the jungle, right? Um, and uh, so living-wise, where you're staying at the main lodge, you have tents. And just like you talked about the double zipper, these have double zippers. And the reason they use tents, it's wall tents with two cots, two little storage places for your boots and bags and stuff like that. Um, they use tents like that because bugs can't get them as easy if they had built cabins and things like that then a lot more opportunity Bowls for field mice and tarantulas and you know anything that lives in the jungle getting in there so you stay in tents they actually have electricity solar power they charge batteries so you actually can charge your phone they have wi-fi at the camp which is amazing <laughs> it's like what the hell how they had yeah. to get someone out to set that all up um from main you know santa cruz i'm assuming so that's your, your stay, and you've got restrooms and showers and everything there, which is crazy <laughs> to think. You're 300 kilometers from really anything, and they've got that stuff there. Um, so it's comfortable if you're just staying at the lodge the whole time. You're great. Um, so we would leave there in the dugout canoes, travel up river, and basically when you're traveling up river, those things – that, the reason they use those is because they can get up that river that's super shallow mm-hmm. and rocky and bouldery, right? Um, sometimes we'd have to get out of the canoe, walk around a certain area so they, and they could push up, and then you get back in, and you just keep pushing up um, to a point to where you're going to be fishing. So then we would we had parked the boats, and we would walk and fish upriver, uh, and then the Chimani guys, there'd be two Chimani guys in the boat. They would just come up river with us, you know, just walking with four you. or five hundred yards. No, they would uh, they would run the boat up. Okay. So after we fish a run or two runs, they'd work their way up eventually too, uh-huh. um, until the point where they just couldn't get any higher, and then we just walk and we'd walk back to the boat. But uh, we'd fish holes, um, and actually that first day of actual fishing was crazy because the fish were hot and they were looking to eat and kill fish. Yeah. Like, uh, I mean the first the f- was that the first fish I caught? I can't remember the first. One I remember, anyways, was a giant, and it was demolishing Sabalo. So Sabalo is the bait fish that they eat, and it was in ankle-deep water. And this fish was probably 30 pounds or more. Um, And, you know, just everything's going crazy. 
And we just happened to walk up at that time, and I had just pulled off a little line off my rod, real. Um, and when I saw that fish happen, I pulled a little more line out and dumped a cast right in front of it and it ate yeah. like, instantly. Um, so that's basically the first fish I caught, and I didn't know how to fight the fish at this point, right? So I just catch, like, this giant fish, um, and it runs 200 feet downriver. Um, <laughs> and I let it because I didn't know, like, at that point how to fight that fish, right? right? Um, so I put enough pressure on it. It stops mid-river, but it's in this current seam, and it's just staying there. And, um, like, by that time, Brandon, which is one of the South African guides that's there, he's all the way down at the fish, and I can't hear him. But I'm running and reeling over boulders and stuff, and I'm getting closer to this fish. I get within 100 feet, and he's like, pull it in the, the you know, the soft water. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I start pulling it in the soft water, and he's about to grab it, like, in the midst of grabbing and the hook just falls out. Uh. <laughs> it just, it probably just got a little slack at yeah. some point, you know, all that chaos, um, and fell out and he's like, Oh my God. And you know, that fish, that's a memorable fish, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, sure. I'll never forget that one. It's the ones you, you lose is the ones that, you always remember. Yeah. yeah. Um, that fish was big. He says it, it could have been bigger than the fish. My biggest fish. Um, what who, size, who knows? what size, uh, weight or what weight rods you, are you throwing? Uh, nines and tens. Okay. And you're using steel leaders? Yeah. So what you're fishing for Dorado specifically is 40-pound um, uh, fluoro or nylon to 40-pound wire, about a foot of 40-pound wire. Sort of straight. Just tieable wire. Yeah, straight. Yeah. It has plenty of power to turn over. I, I brought a spool of 50-pound because I was thinking I would taper it down a little bit more, but uh-huh. that wire is so much thinner than the 40-pound. Oh, so, so it just lays out. Yeah, it's already got a heavy butt section to a 40-pound wire. Yeah. Um, and you definitely have to use that. Fortunately, I didn't lose any from fish biting through or anything, um, but some other – well, one of the other guys did – yeah. You know, just they got super sharp teeth. And it's a bit right through that steel. Or they that just wire. Bite. Yeah, it's just 40, 40 pound tireable wire, you know, yeah. SA or Rio, you know, we all have it. Um, and a lot of it's like everything's abrading against that line, too, because you're in such shallow water when those fish oh, are running and jumping and stuff. It's like, you know, it's in every rock in the river. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's insane. When you hook those Dorado, they come rocketing out of the water and they just like jump on every like they'll land on a pocket of rocks and just uh-huh. dry themselves yeah um <laughs> it's crazy uh so i lost that fish and something else on the paku you're using wire leader too but you're using a 30 pound to 25 pound wire okay so a lot lighter because they're just more sensitive fish than you know the dorado will get aggressive and they're gonna eat did the fl- did it seem like to you on the dorado the flies mattered Yes. Yeah. It did. Okay. Definitely the weight of flies. So the the stuff that we're using nine and ten weights, forty pound. Um, ideally, if someone was going, I would say take a ten. Use more line weight for flies. You know, I took a nine. I can cast it fine, but there's some flies that I casted. That I was like, holy crap, man, this thing is terrible. Yeah. Um. So, you know, you're using six aught hooks. Um, s- real similar stuff that you would fish GTs for, but mainly. Uh, Fly-wise, you want weighted flies instead of unweighted. Um, so you want like a large, extra large eye up front on the six-aught hook. Okay. And then probably ideally uh, like a deer hair head, but not so dense that it can't sink. So the one that they fish is called the Andino Deceiver. So it's a deceiver pattern with a... Um, Spun head. Uh, like a bucktail head or okay. so. Something that's not going to make it float. Yeah. So I, I actually, I tied some and I... 
purchased some in the Surgis Rasp pattern. They make it in a black and they make it in a green and purple. And those are basically GT flies. But they have a lead eye or a, you know, dumbbell eye up front. And, but on those, they cut the head in a very large triangle. So it's got a lot of hair. And the Andino Deceiver is almost like a rounded head, almost like a, like a sex dungeon or something like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so what we would do is we'd take the fly and automatically just trim off a lot of the, the hair yeah. to get it just underneath the surface. Because if it skipped, because a lot of that stuff you're fishing sometimes pretty fast current um, because they'll get in the riffles almost just like trout. They're looking for fish. Coming to you know, them. And you would see them. Yeah, they would do that, but they would also just come and crush a bunch of stuff too. Right. So it varied on what day it was. Um, but we would trim the flies down to get them where they just go underneath the surface. Um, we didn't have much luck if they'd skate, you know. And, you know, I imagine some scenarios you could fish poppers for them, maybe in the more calm pockets. Mm-hmm. Uh, we never really tried because when we did fish them in the calm pockets, if they were they were already being aggressive or they were, like, super moody and just not having it that okay. day, right? So you are throwing the streamers anyways. Yeah. Yeah. Um, at How one, many Dorado did you catch on the trip? Or, like, what would you expect? Someone went on this trip. The amount of opportunity. We we definitely caught between four and six fish a day. That's between both of us. Maybe more than that. And you just went with your buddy. Yeah, it was just me and him. It would, no one else was there. Just yeah, it was kind of crazy. That's, yeah. that's <laughs> <awesome>. <laughs> it was amazing in that aspect, too. Yeah. And we actually were supposed to have another buddy. Um, his name is Billy. and uh, So you got to take a COVID test 72 hours before. This is something I should talk about. And it's got to be a PCR test, which is the most accurate test, supposedly, right? And he f- tested positive, <laughs> and so he didn't get to go, unfortunately. Um, but he'll come. You know, we'll go next year, probably, hopefully. So it's supposed to be three and two, and they only do four person groups on that trip. So it's just super small groups, anyways, um, because of guides and because of logistics for the jungle trips. That's what they do max. And Not then enough room really to to take that many more people up. Right. They could have six at the lodge. But two of them would stay, be staying downriver mm. and doing the easier stuff that, you know, maybe like an older guy that can't boulder hop all day long right. can do, right? Now, did you guys go back to the lodge every night? For the first two nights, yeah. Okay. What did y'all do right. after, the, after that? Because you said you did the more jungle experience. So the right. first, so first day, went upriver. We actually pushed pretty far, too, on that day. Uh, I don't know how far on that day, but we got pretty high into some really, like, big bouldery stuff that you kind of had to climb around and move a lot. Man, it'll take it out of you, you know. You're always <laughs> doing step-ups. Yeah. So that was my – I told Carlos that's my workout plan for people that want to – if we ever host that trip is, like, got to go to stairs every day and just start climbing them suckers, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's just good practice. Right. Um and you're wearing felt boots the whole time, too. You have to wear felt because everything's slick. Yeah. Um, but anyways, the first night – First day, we pushed up river pretty far. Um, second day, actually, the first day, we didn't push up as far. The second day, we pushed further than that because uh-huh. um, we fished the lower sector, and then the next day, we fished the upper sector. So, And that's when we actually saw a lot of huge fish that day, but they were being super finicky. Mm-hmm. So we caught – the first day, we caught probably – Five or six fish, I okay. think, um, between, you know, some small, right, some 20 pounds uh, was uh, the biggest that day, I think. And then the second day we went higher, which is super beautiful up there. I mean, 
if you would think of like a freestone river with big boulders and like rounded rocks and stuff, and you got mountains up there, it's all rainforest stuff, but you know, super clear water, lots of big fish. And they just were really finicky. Like you get a fly in the right place, they would spook. Um, your line landed too hard, they would spook. And they were just off that day. You could yeah. tell um, they weren't in a feeding mode, you know? Um, and that's what I noticed as we went through the, the trip is the fish would really get into feeding modes and they wouldn't be in feeding modes. And you just had to be out there all day to take advantage, advantage of, of those were. opportunities, yeah. right? Now, would um, it change in the day or was it like one day they're off, one day they're on? You know what I mean? Yeah, we really only had, I think, two days where they were off. We uh-huh. still caught fish, but it was smaller fish, Yeah, um, which are more, I guess you could say, aggressive, more opportunistic because they're – they're, you know, There's probably always trying to eat, it. right? Yeah. 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 Um, but the rest of the time, I mean, we found hungry feeding fish pretty regularly. Yeah. And, you know, it's all weather dependent. We had really good weather. I mean, it, it was amazing. Yeah. Um, we had good water the whole time. So that first two days we fished the Casare River, which is if you're at the lodge and you're, like, looking up river, there's two branches of the river, and to the left is the Casare. And so we fished that first beat up to they have an upper camp up there it's uh hiesis is the name of it mm-hmm. we didn't stay there that's where we stopped the first day the second day we went straight to hiesis and then we fished above that and then you came back after that day mm-hmm. to the lodge and then the third day we went up the right yeah so the third day because it was just us two and we're physically fit he wanted to show us some of the stuff we made the plan to do a pretty hard hiking uh-huh. um over a mountain up a river you know kind of stuff yeah so ori- the original plan was to hike over one mountain fish up a river camp high and then fish higher than anybody's ever been and then hike back through the, the jungle and hike over two mountains back and uh that plan changed fortunately because i don't know if i can make two mountains <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what the deal was but anyways we made the plan to do that it changed to do the one mountain. So the boat take you up river. We hiked a jungle trail. Now when you hike river. it, do they actually pick up the boat and carry it with you? No, we leave the boat there. Okay. So we're all on foot at that point. Yeah. The Chimani's come with us too. Um, one of them will carry a cooler. Okay. Like a Yeti soft, soft hopper with waters and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. And of course we're loaded down too with as, as light as we possibly can, but with water and everything we need. Yeah. So we hiked a trail. And I don't know how far this thing is, but then we do the mountain. We go across the river, kind of take a dunk because we're all hot at that right. point. It's pretty humid there. And temperature range at 65, 70 at night. So comfortable. You okay. can sleep, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then um, 90, 85 to 100 during the day. Okay. So it climbed. It can get warm, yeah. Yeah, it get warm. It was humid. Like at night, it'd be 65, 70. And you'd be blowing smoke because it's just so much humidity. Oh, know? yeah. Just like if it was cold. Yeah. We hiked through the trail, and then we got to the mountain. And, uh, I mean, it's straight up. <laughs> like, there's no switchbacks. Yeah. It's like, there's some, but for most part, straight up. And I don't know if I was just already dehydrated or what the case was, but, man, that it kicked my butt. Like, <laughs> I got halfway up, and it was just like having to take breaks. Like, I'm drenched. And the humidity, I'm... I think what happened is I sweated out everything I had had in my body. Mm. And by the time I got to the top, I couldn't catch back up. So the rest of the day, I was nauseous, like, all day long, oh, <laughs> like, yeah. dry even and stuff. Um, 
But, you know, it's part of the adventure. <laughs> and uh, we made it. We, we fished upriver, and we saw stuff that people haven't seen. Um, literally, Patrick's never been up there. Um, and not like we went like 10 miles in past where Patrick's been, but we went further than he had been on foot. He's taken a helicopter and done other stuff at right. the headwaters and things like that. But that's kind of crazy to think. And that's where I caught that big fish. So that was day three. And all. y'all were camping like in tents. Y'all packed tents up there. and Yeah, that might have been day four. So they have another camp on that river, the Pachine, or I think is the name of it. I'm probably mispronouncing that again. Um, but they have an out camp out there, and it's got tents. And they actually have people that stay there, like Chimani guys that stay there and maintain it all the time. Oh, um, so you just show up, and then like the tents are ready to go. It's, it's basically just a tent, yeah, like yeah. A, a basic tent that's light, you know. Yeah. And uh, they've got a little screen-in shelter for the cook, and um, it's just super basic. I got some pictures and stuff yeah. I can send to. But it's cool, you know. You're, I mean, you're literally. I don't even know how far away you are at that point. I marked that stuff on my GPS. I still haven't gone back and looked. Um, but if you like, if you look. Like, you can't even see where you're staying, basically, on the map. Yeah. And it's just rainforest, like, forest or uh, jungle everywhere. Yeah. Um, so then I think what we did is we fished. That was a, that third day. We fished up to the camp. And then that's what we did. We fished up to that camp. And then that fourth day was the day we went Over super the high. And right. to the one yep. place that nobody had been. Yeah. Okay. Um, which, if you're – in decent condition, like I'm not a triathlete or anything, but I made it. If you can make that trip, that's I mean, it's so cool up there. Uh, it's just so different, you know. Super bouldery, smaller water. It's it tapers down even more, and you see bigger fish. Um, but it's a trek. I think that now, day we walked 16 miles. Are those fish in the river year round, or do they migrate a lot, move up and down, then there for a season? They're there year-round, but they do migrate, and I asked them about that. Um, the bottom lands or the lower stuff is where I think there's more fish, but they're smaller, and then they migrate up with the food source. So Sabalo, um, they're always following the food source. Um, and I think they – he said – so I don't think there's a whole lot of known about how they spawn because I asked him some questions about that, and nobody seemed to know that much. Maybe nobody's really research. looked into it or something. Yeah, I mean, I'd be interested in that for sure, just to know, like, what happens and what they do. But it seemed, you know, the higher you went, the bigger the fish were, and that's probably – I don't know if that's just because there's more food or what the case is. Uh, you would see big balls of sabalo, like, which is a sucker fish that they would feed on. Uh, so you said that was their main food source. That's their main food source. Okay. And there's all kinds of life. I mean, there's everything going around. Right. Uh, there's, I'm like – Go ahead. I was going to say, how many different species did you catch? So I got Paku, Golden Dorado, and Silver Dorado, which is uh, Tagarana, I think is the name of it. Tagarana. Okay. I have to look up the name. And it's basically a smaller version of the Golden Dorado, and it's got a black uh, stripe down its cheek and its tail. Okay. And so that was cool. But they also have some other catfish species, which uh, would be awesome to catch. I don't right. think, you know, it's not as easy. you got to kind of figure all that stuff out. Yeah, yeah. And not mainly for the fly or anything. Yeah, you can catch them on the fly, yeah. especially the cerubi, which is that gray and black striped and white striped catfish, okay. um, or gray and white, I guess. Um, they're aggressive, and they've got like a sucker mouth to them, so they inhale prey just like uh, like a bass. Okay. 
Um, and supposedly, if you find them in the shallows and they're hunting, you can catch them. Uh-huh. Everything we saw was in deeper water, and I actually casted to a few, and they just didn't care. Gotcha. Um, but we saw some Maturo catfish that were probably two, three hundred pounds. I mean, as big as me. Yeah. Um, and the week before, I think they had caught one. So the local Chimani guys are always out there with you, and they're always hunting for their food. So they've uh-huh. got bows and arrows, and they're bow hunting for fish. You called it a Maturo? Maturo, I think, is it's a... Uh, I don't know how to spell it, but Maturo catfish. Okay, was, it's like a big, it almost looks like a flathead, which is giant. Yeah. Or maybe like a blue cat. It's got a bigger, rounder head. Kind of like that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That'd be fun to catch. Dude, I can't imagine. 12 weight. And I've heard they probably would eat a fly. I don't know. Um, you, We actually saw one that size or bigger on the last day. But the, the Shamanis a week before had caught one on a hand line that size. <laughs> that's pretty wild right but they're always hunting and stuff while you're going up river so they're bow hunting for the sabalo and that's what they kind of feed, eat on okay um along with rice and stuff like that that they have and jungle fruits and you know whatever's there what it uh what are some of the cooler animals you saw like in the jungle the one that we still is not completely identified but we're pretty sure we saw a juvenile jaguar and it jumped the river as we were going up river it was insane like that's a super rare occasion right and it wasn't an ocelot because it was bigger than that it didn't have the stripes like an ocelot but it had spots and it so it wasn't a puma because pumas lose their spots at a certain age um we just think it was a juvenile jaguar because it wasn't full grown for sure but we were going up one of the branches going up river the chamani saw it i saw it and um one of the guides saw it all at the same time we were like oh Jaguar, you know, <laughs> dang it, cool. I got to pay my bow tax now. I said Shit, twice. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was epic. I mean, it jumped. The river was probably double, maybe this room plus another half, and it cleared the river and it kept running. And uh, I was trying to get Carlos's attention because he had talked about, man, that'd be cool if we saw one. He's back there talking to someone else and completely missed it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure, I mean, I can – vividly picture like the whole cat like sprawled out in the air you know um that it was probably a jaguar and we we talked to patrick about it and he's like yeah i bet it was and we'd see jaguar prints all over the place really yeah in certain places you'd see them more you'd also see a lot of tapir uh tracks which okay. we never saw tapir but we saw some super fresh tracks like now, they were like, just there like the anteater looking things yeah they're like a hippo mixed with a anteater that's or something. right yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah i don't know and they got this really weird footprint so they got like four toes and it's like like they just walking around <laughs> just know, prancing super everywhere. strange yeah you know, look one up and check it out it's really interesting um they've got freshwater stingrays we saw a couple of those okay pretty dangerous actually yeah and so you're you've got some sandy areas you're shuffling and stuff and stuff like that it was really weird we didn't see any monkeys we saw a couple occasions we're like going up river where trees were like really shaking and stuff and we assume it was a monkey but we never saw one um we went through the jungle quite a bit too. On you know, Patrick was super. Uh, he made sure like if you're walking through the jungle, always make sure you're looking down. If you want to look up, always stop and look up because you're just there's stuff everywhere. Um, like snakes, and snakes and spiders. bullet ants and spiders. Uh, yeah. And did you guys see any cool snakes? We saw one vine snake, which was the it's a brownish one. It's supposed to be super venomous, um, but they're a rear a rear fanged. Snake. So it would take a while from the chewing. Yeah, they have to chew on you a little bit or get like when they go up in the trees and stuff. 
Um, so technically, I mean, if they latch on your nose, you could probably, you know, something small like that. Right. You could probably get it or a like, finger. Yeah. Um, that's the same thing with like what? Even they see like the coral snakes and stuff. Yeah. Same thing. They, yeah. They have they to gotta really chew on get it. on you to yeah. Yeah. venom. And I don't think they're like super aggressive. It's funny. We were going up river and uh, one of the guys, like as soon as he saw it, started throwing rocks at him. He was oh, like, he was like, no, get you know, there's the people that live in the jungle. The things that they don't like, they don't like, right? Yeah. <laughs> and the stingrays was one. Snakes is another one. Everything else, it seemed like they didn't bother them too but much. Those are two like, don't, don't even mess with them. Just yeah, <laughs> avoid them or like probably instantly kill them. I don't yeah. know. Have you seen any like cool frogs or? Yeah, we saw some toads. I didn't. And well, we saw some frogs. Lots of frog eggs and tadpoles everywhere. Okay. Um, you know, it's weird. You know, like a bluegill nest. The frogs would dig out a nest like that, but just out of the water where the water was in the, the nest, it, like I guess as water splashes over Sprinkles or if it comes or up or whatever, it fills in a little bit and there'd just be full of frog eggs. Uh, and then you would see like a pod of just black tadpoles all together in certain areas. Oh, yeah. Um, we saw, you know, a bunch of parrots and stuff that fly over and super noisy, you know, yeah. as they're flying. We heard some toucans. We never saw them, though. Mm-hmm. You always hear birds. They, like, to me, it wasn't noisy, but people would describe it as noisy, right? Right. Like, just um, constant something. Constant something. Yeah. From frogs to birds. That's probably the two major things. Yeah. I imagine if you're, like, certain areas, monkeys, there's another one. But uh, we didn't hear too much of that. And I don't know. We saw um, lots of vultures. And, man, they're super healthy there because they're, they're, <laughs> they've got a great food they source, right? different things to eat every day. Yeah. And we saw, what's the white one? It's the largest species of vulture. Um, king vulture okay yeah that's pretty cool yeah they're huge um they're gnarly looking too i looked up some pictures of them because it's flying around and uh-huh. so you can't see it you definitely see a lot of wildlife and the more you pay attention there's stuff Ed, everywhere. everywhere like leaf cutter ants across trails carrying leaves all day long like oh, you just cool. see them all the time um tarantulas uh all kinds of spiders if you don't like spiders probably not the best place to go because they're everywhere but spiders never bother me yeah, I'm laying on the ground taking pictures and stuff of, you know, certain things. But I was talking to my buddies. He's been down there, too, and he's like, dude, I couldn't handle it. <laughs> he's <laughs> like, I couldn't sit down, couldn't stand up. He's, like, losing his mind. Oh, no, spiders don't really bother me. So, like, that guy, right? That's Yeah. The, uh, that's so crazy, right? Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay, so spiders. So, um, but, you know, here we only have, like, two spiders that can actually kill you. There yeah. is more than two. Yeah, I think the biggest one's the wandering spider. Okay. I think it's, like, the it might be. I don't know if it's the poisonous spider in the world, but right. it's supposed to be up there. Yeah. I didn't see any of those. Um, Lots of tarantulas, you said. I mean, I'm down to see some crazy stuff. <laughs> as long as it's in its place and I'm in my place, right? right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Florida Lance. I, I think you're pretty neat, but I respect your distance. Right. Yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's supposed to be a lot of, quite a bit of, like, Florida Lance uh, vipers there. Yeah, vipers, yeah. And there's, you know, who knows? Yeah. Could have walked right past one. Um, you never know. They're supposed to be pretty aggressive. I don't. I don't know. Uh, but I love all that stuff. You know, it's yeah. part of the adventure too. You see everything, and uh, there was quite a few times I was like down on hands and knees, like taking pictures. Butterflies everywhere. It's crazy. Like all different colors and types of butterflies everywhere. Mm. They're just flying everywhere. What? So before we have to wrap up, Stephen, what was like your highlight moment of the trip? The three things that always stand out in my mind of that trip is the Paku, the one I lost <laughs> that uh, came off because of that battle. It's just crazy. And then the hike. I mean, I love that kind of stuff. The the big hike, catching that big fish, 
Um, that was actually I only casted like three times that day because I was fighting fish the whole day. Well, I was just like wanting a barf all day. But um, <laughs> uh, and I, I wanted Carlos to go up river and catch fish, and uh-huh. he actually went higher than we did. Um, but that was like the last cast for me that day, and I hooked that giant fish. Uh, and then I let, I was like, just watched him the rest of the day. <laughs> but it was, it was, uh, it was a good sized fish. So that wouldn't be better than that. So you're yeah. like, I might as well call it quits while I'm ahead. Yeah. That, well, I mean, there's definitely some up there. I want him to catch a fish like that too, yeah, you know, yeah. just see how you react. Something I just say is when you hook a draw, the one I lost, when you hook a draw, you put everything you can into getting that fish to you as quick as possible. Like you don't let it run. Cause it's just going to take too much. Can you just pressure like, Oh Yeah. You just pressure with that forty pound line. You can just you can just, just get hammer them. Yeah. Yep, um, you strip them in as close as possible because one, you're protecting the fish and racking its brain on rocks. He, they've actually told me that they've had fish knock themselves out because they're just go crazy, they jump and they land jump and land and stuff. And so you, they have to like revive them and like wake them back up. We didn't have that scenario, but yeah, you just put the wood to them and find them as hard as you can. Um, and if they break you off, they break you off, and hopefully there's another opportunity. But if you don't, you're going to lose them. Um, yeah. That last fish, and that was – we had a, another day or two of fishing still. Um, but that fish was definitely it because of the, the journey. But also I caught that fish on top of like a 20-foot cliff probably. So we saw it sitting in the water. And it was in a deep pool. And actually Carlos started casting at it, but it was kind of funky cast. So he's like, here – you just cast to it. So I did, and I made the cast, and within the first strip or two, it came from probably four feet above, below, mouth open, just hammered the fly. Oh, and I just sit, set as hard as I possibly could. And at that point, you know, raise your rod, but I'm on top of this cliff. So I backed up because I have to get off the cliff if I want to land the fish. And Brandon, like, jumps off this cliff into the sand so he can manage my line, which is Brandon's one of the guides. Uh-huh. Brandon and Angus, they're both South African guys. My line was over the edge of this cliff, like completely just <laughs> off the side of it. And so he like literally just made sure my line didn't cut in half. And then um, Fernando is another guy that's been there for a long time. He backed me up off the cliff while Carlos like managed my line. Cause I got, there's crap going everywhere. You know, right. it's just, everything's happening at once. So I worked my way off the cliff and by the time I got off the cliff, the fish was on the beach because I had, we had drug it by going off the cliff. You pulled it out of the basically water. Basically pulled it out of the water. <laughs> and um, Brandon grabbed it at that point. And that was the first time I saw it. I was like, oh, my God, that thing is huge. Yeah. Um, so we, we measured it. It was 90 centimeters, just under 36 inches. Wow. Um, but the size, you know, it's one thing, the length's right, but the head on the thing is giant. Oh, yeah. No, that picture um, is just like, it's crazy. Yeah, I wish. Yeah. Did you guys you get, get that weight? perspective? No. Yeah. Uh, I wish I, we would have measured the girth at least, just kind of get an idea. idea. Yeah. But you're saying 30 plus pounds. Okay. Yeah. Um, and he said, I asked him what the biggest fish they've landed is 110 centimeters. So you still got, you know, another 20 centimeters yeah. to go. But yeah. that's a huge fish for that. And they, they said that was the biggest fish of their season so far. Um, yeah. And then I heard some Argentine guys came in and caught some really nice fish right after. So I don't know if they're any bigger, but. Some yeah. good ones. So, you know, they've yeah. got some massive fish in there. So, super cool trip um, and adventure. And I definitely encourage people to go and to Angling Frontiers and check that out, no doubt. We can get Fernando on. Yeah, Federico. Federico. <laughs> yeah, for Federico. sure. He's a good guy. He'll come down and do it. Especially, like, Trout Fest. He might be 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Thanks for coming on, Steven. Yeah, yeah, man. Thank you. Thanks for letting me talk about it. Yeah. I think one of, before we end, one of the coolest things that we've realized about the podcast is that we can relive our experiences and trips by going back and releasing the old episodes. Oh, yeah. So hopefully you can, five years down the road, come back and be like, oh. That's how yeah. I went. Come back and listen <laughs> to it. Yeah. Yep. I mean, that's the main reason we take pictures, right? Relive yeah. it all. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Cool. Cool, man. Thanks. Awesome. Next week we have uh, Alvin Dado, so stay tuned for that. And uh, if you came to on our hunt with us trip, we appreciate you guys joining us. Bye.